are on air for Fan for Racing Radio. This is Thursday night, April the 27th, and tonight we have our NASCAR Weekend Preview for Dover as well as Hot Topic Sound Off uh, with our Fan for Racing crew. So uh, let's go over our agenda here for tonight. Uh, but for, before I do that, let me go ahead and bring into the show our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, thank you, Sharon. You say bring me in while you can. Uh, I know I messaged you. Uh, I'll try not to yell. I can hardly hear myself think because we are now under a severe thunderstorm watch, so I can't even hear oh, within the house. <laughs> well, I hope uh, you guys stay safe there. Uh, that's going to be the most important thing here. Uh, but I'm going to go over the agenda right now, and that is in our first half hour, we're going to start with some short track news. Next, we're going to preview the ARCA East Series at Dover International Speedway, and we'll include some updates from the ARCA Menards and the ARCA West Series that they are not racing this weekend. In our second half hour, we do have, we're going to comment on the media interview with Riley Erbst, the driver of the number 984 with Stuart Haas Racing in the Xfinity Series. Uh, that interview is about uh, just a little less than 11 minutes. And then afterward, we are going to give some updates for the NASCAR Truck Series. Uh, next, we preview the NASCAR Xfinity Series and then the Cup Series, also racing this week and at Dover International Speedway. At 10 o'clock, uh, our fourth half hour, we're going to uh, start our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off discussion with our Fan for Racing crew. So uh, we've got a few things on the list here tonight, so it should be an interesting conversation. Uh, so anything you want to add to that, Jay? No, i got to say, you know, talking about it, I know we got some hot topics to talk about with the injuries, but... For me, it feels good to be, if you will, back in the driver's seat, back on the show. I wasn't able to do last Thursday's preview show, so excited to be back here tonight. Yes, um, we are happy to have you back. You were you were able to stand in for uh, Sal on Monday, uh, which we really appreciated that as well. Okay, we're going to start with the short track news. Uh, I did send some notes here for the dirt and the short tracks, so and we'll start out with Kyle Larson is working hard and betting on his own sprint car series with his brother-in-law, Brad Sweet, as the pair attempt to grow the brand of their brand of discipline. Uh, that's an article written by Jeff Gluck at The Athletic. Well, unfortunately, we talked about weather in the World Outlaw Sprint Car Series race weekend here at Knoxville Raceway in Iowa has been called off due to plummeting temperatures and below freezing wind chills. And that uh, is at worldoutlaws.com. You can find out a lot there. We've got a couple to cover from that. Exactly. And, um, you know, weather has been kind of a big topic this year. Uh, a lot of races being rescheduled because of weather. A trio of drivers uh, won big in the opening night at the Talladega Short Track. Yeah, again, you can read about that at the World of Outlaws, uh, an article by Mike Warren. Well, and one of them was big, sexy Brandon Overton as he picked up the cool 50000 for the Saturday night triumph. Uh, Nick Graziano covered that. And the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series made a similar decision over the tourist planned Illinois double header. Uh, I guess uh, by a uh, similar decision about uh, 
scheduling for dirt, I believe, or scheduling because of weather, rescheduling. Well, and the USAC did the same with their Kokomo Grand Prix, and that one's covered. They get covered on USA, USAC, USAC Media. Um, unfortunately, you just kind of have to keep a, keep a check on these races you want to catch because, yeah, a lot of them are getting scrubbed. Okay, the World of Outlaws late model, they were able to race uh, a 411 speedway. Corey Hedgecock picked up his second World of Outlaws win. Again, Mike Warren wrote about that over at theworldofoutlaws.com. Well, Brandon Paul from Flow Racing, I believe we've had him on before. He covered mm-hmm. Ricky Thornton Jr. as he taught the Castro Flow Racing night at Brownstown Speedway. And this one I knew you'd be happy about, uh, Jay. Mike Marler won the Flow Racing Night in America event at Eldora Speedway. Again, that was written by Brandon Paul over at Flow Racing. Yeah, the Winfield Warrior. I know we had him on a couple times as well. Now, the 10-race Buddy Bubby Bubby. Jones Master of Going Faster Series is coming back uh, this year in the USAC Amsoil Sprint Car National Championships. And Richie Murray covered that on that USAC media. Okay. Geo Skelsey's uh, driven in the uh, Arkham Menard Series. He's a rising star and showing signs of progress during his rookie World of Outlaws one run, if I can talk right. Alex Knighton uh, writes about that over at theworldofoutlaws.com. And now we move on to short tracks, Jay. This one was a good one. Uh, I know about a while back, but Greenville Pittsburgh isn't gone just yet. We got groups that are working to try and save the historic facility and hold some races here in 2023, and that's by Jay Pennell at Racing America. And then Burt Myers stood tall in the season-opening Hayes Jewelers 200 at Bowman Gray Stadium. Brandon Wright wrote about that over at NASCAR.com. And I'll, as always, Matt Weaver covering a lot from the short track scene. Carson Cavapol scored his second consecutive win with a photo finish over Connor Hall. And then Hayden Plyben, we kind of talked about this earlier this week. Uh, he won again at the Leonard Evans Memorial. And Matt Weaver, again, writes about that over at short track scene. We've got some the upcoming late model races at North North. Wilkesboro Speedway, Flow, Flow Racing will be broadcasting those. And then the plan Hoosier 100 was postponed on May 20, for, for, to May 26th at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park. Uh, that's an article over at USAC Media. Another update from Short Track Scene, unfortunately, South Boston Speedway, they have also called off their race, race weekend due to rain and severe weather. So that's going around a little bit here. It really is. There's a lot uh, going on uh, with the weather this year. It seems like more so than usual. And uh, it's kind of sad because uh, it means the rescheduling and we end up with some uh, double headers and races where we weren't expecting races and all kinds of things going on. Uh, I'm over at uh, Racing America now, the Joe Shear Classic at Madison, uh, is boasting a uh, star-studded entry list. 36 drivers so far have filed entries for the Joe Shear Classic at Madison International Speedway on May the 7th. 
So uh, that's going to be a big event. It is. And, it, and actually, uh, when I read it, it says Oregon, Wisconsin. And my first thought was they're racing from Oregon to Wisconsin. That'd be kind of cool. But no, uh, as, <laughs> as you put it, most people are more familiar with Madison, Wisconsin. Um, you're right. right. It's going to be a big event. Um, we got a couple of big names on there. Derek Krause is listed, Casey Roderick, and Bubba Pollard. And where Pollard goes, normally Stephen Nassi is right there with him. <laughs> also, Johnny Sauter, Luke Fenhouse, uh, he's on the list. Jacob Gomes from the West Coast uh, and the SRL series, he's going to be there. Uh, let me see if there's anybody else that I recognize here. Um, 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 Ty Majeski. Kyle, Kyle. Oh yeah, that's right. Ty Majeski was on there. Kyle Crump is another name we've heard a couple of times now. I think is going to start creeping up more and more. Yes, yes. Steve Appel, uh, Stephen Nassi, you mentioned already. Uh, there's a, a bunch of uh, stars on here, and uh, it's going to be a huge, huge event. So. Uh, it's one of those do-not-miss races, and you can see it over at Racing America. Uh, Let's real quick head over to Flow Racing. I want to make sure we we hit on some other uh, news uh, from some of the other websites here. Do you see anything at Flow you want to uh, bring up, Jay? Uh, No, I... They have so much on there. I mean, I, we can talk all night about what they the content they have on their site. Well, let's just say the Mars Late Model Opening Weekend is also attracting some heavy hitters, uh, and uh, it's a strong field of late models this weekend at Brownstown Bullring and Fairway Speedway and Red Hill Raceway. So uh, you can read about that over at Flow Racing. Uh, again, another big event. Uh, at the Brownstown uh, Bullring coming up this weekend. And then Stafford Springs Sizzler, another postponed race uh, because of unfavorable forecasts. So uh, really sad to see that happening uh, within the world of racing, but uh, it's just part uh, part of what happens in racing, I guess. Well, down here in the south, a lot of it is the rain, as I mentioned. we got some storms coming through. See how that affects our weekend. Up north, it's uh, the winter has come again, if you will. I know my parents got some more snow here in the last week after being out golf once, so go here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I saw Rob Blount. Uh, he uh, posted this on, on uh, Twitter, and Rob is from this area. He was very excited about Riverhead Raceway. Their races are now going to be streamed over on Flow Racing. So uh, that's part of the Advanced Auto Parts uh, weekly series and the roots of uh, racing within NASCAR. So uh, really good news in an article by Rob Blount over on Flow Racing. And we see him building that relationship with tracks. Uh, where I did the Thursday night show racing uh, last week, um, racing was there covering it. You know, we got a couple of teams that come in, if you will, uh, contractors. I get to know the cameraman. Um, but they're expanding. And to see him do this with a weekly series and a particular track is just awesome. Uh, I really can't even believe that where we're at with that, that, that's able to do that and bring that out to the fans. 
Exactly. And before we leave um, the Flow Racing website, I just want to say tomorrow at 4.30 p.m. Central Time, uh, fans will be able to see the Arkham and Art Series race out at Dover over at Flow Racing. So I believe that race is also going to be on uh, Fox Sports 1. But uh, just know that you, if you're a subscriber of Flow Racing, you can see it there as well. Now we're going to move over to Short Track Scene, and there's uh, some great articles over there as well, Jay. Yeah, I know we talk a lot about Matt Weaver. Uh, he's always got up some, uh, some great articles and does such an amazing job of covering the Short Track Scene, which is where it gets his name. Uh, the one that stands out uh, to me was the one we mentioned was Carson Cavapel. Uh, seeing him come up, uh, I think we're going to see him up at one of the top series sooner rather than later. Absolutely. Isabel Robusto Robusto is also diagnosed with a concussion after a hickory crash. Uh, She's expected to make a full recovery following a period of rest, uh, but it is going to sideline her. That's after a crash that knocked over a Jersey barrier at the end of Pitt Road on Saturday night in the Cars Prolate Model Tour race out at Hickory Motor Speedway. Uh, so she was diagnosed with that concussion and is now withdrawn from the touring car race this weekend at New Orleans uh, Motorsports Park. Uh, Robusto is part of that um, uh, driver development program. Uh, she's been part of Rev Racing and uh, actually she's racing as part of the Lee Falk Racing and Development Program as well. So, yeah, really sad news for Isabella Robusto. Well, one, before we jump off of here, one I didn't want to hit, uh, I know this was on Racing America as well, is the Southern Supers and the Show Me the Money doubleheader at Montgomery is going to be history-making. It's the first time for the show to be this stacked there at Montgomery. Uh, due to a reschedule, it'll be Saturday, April 29th. As the ASA Southern Super Series, they're going to re- uh, return for the rescheduled Rumble by the River 100, and then the Show Me the Money Series with the Pro Late Model. So big weekend for them as well, and I hope that they're able to get it in. <laughs> I hope so too, Jay. <laughs> it, this weather has been uh, a little bit of a challenge. Okay, we're going to go ahead and move over to the ARCA racing area uh, and just kind of do our preview uh, because uh, the ARCA Menard Series East is racing this weekend at Dover. What a great picture they got at Dover here. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about uh, the race there. It's the General Tire 125 at Dover. Here they're calling it Dover Motor Speedway. I think it's actually called Dover International Speedway. Uh, This Friday, April the 28th at uh, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, That's 4.30 p.m. Central Time. So, again, it will be available live streaming over at Flow Racing. It doesn't say anything about Fox Sports here, so it's just on Flow Racing. If you want to listen to the radio coverage, it's at arcaracing.com. And they also have a, this track is a one-mile concrete oval. They'll be racing 125 laps for this event. Friday, April the 28th, they'll have their final practice from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern. The general tire pole qualifying, which is a time session at 2.10 p.m. Eastern. And then the general tire 125, 125 laps 
for 125 miles starts again at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, but we've got some drivers to keep an eye on over here as well. Well, just to let you know, this is only the, the General Tire 125 at Dover Motor Speedway. is the second race of the 2023 Arca Menard Series East season. Uh, William Solich started from the pole and led every lap to win the season opener there at Five Flag Speedway in Pensacola, Florida. Yes, he did. Uh, I'm trying to see where you got that from. Okay. Oh, um, I was going with the notes you had sent me. Oh, okay. Let me go back to that because I was over at the pit box. I forgot that I had sent you that. Okay. Uh, Salwalich's victory at Five Lights marked the 14th time in East Series history that a di- driver has won their series debut. The last driver to win in his first start was Will Rogers, and that was at Watkins Glen International in 2017. Rogers also won his second and ultimately his third career series starts, the only driver in series history to win in his first three attempts. That was exciting. I remember when that happened. Yes, it was. Now, an exciting one to watch this year is going to be Sean Hingarani as he makes his second East Series start as he competes for both the Arkham Menard Series East and West Championships. Hingarani has won the last two West races at Irwindale Speedway and last Saturday night at Kern County Raceway. Now, he's currently third, though, in the West Series standings. Yes, and he's racing with Venturini Motorsports, so for Venturini to be going after both the East and the West, uh, and especially in that West Series, uh, that is history in the making uh, with Venturini reaching out to the West uh, Series. So I'm super excited for what Sean Hingarani is doing for them. Also, Landon Lewis, who leads the Arkham Art Series West standings with three consecutive runner-up finishes to open up the season, he's going to make his Arca East uh, debut at Dover as well. Lewis won in his West debut last year at Kern County Raceway Park, and he also won in his second career Arkham Art Series start in 2021, and that was at DeCoin State Fairgrounds. Uh, Dover Motorsports Speedway appeared on the inaugural East schedule back in 1987. Uh, that race, which was a combination race, but it was now with what is now known as the NASCAR Xfinity Series, and it was won by Mark Martin. The first only East, the first East only race at Dover Motor Speedway was held in 1998, and that was won by Jimmy Spencer. Remember Jimmy? Mr. Excitement, oh yeah. Yes. Can't forget Jimmy. Now, other East winners at Dover include uh, Dale Shaw, Matt Kobeluck, Dale Quarterly, Andy Santerre, Tim Andrews, Sean Casey, Eric Elmarola, Brett Moffitt twice, Daryl Wallace Jr., better known as Bubba Wallace, Corey LaJoy, Austin Hill twice, Chase Cabre, Kyle Benjamin, Harrison Burton, Ruben Garcia Jr., and Sam Mayer twice, and then Ty Gibbs, and last year's winner, Taylor Gray. There were some other names in there. Big names. Uh, Absolutely. The General Tire 125 will be the 33rd Arkham Art Series East Race at Dover Motor Speedway. Uh, So that's uh, amazing. 33 Arkham Art Series East Races at Dover. 
And of the ones mentioned, Tim Andrews, Austin Hill, Chase Cabray, and Taylor Gray all scored their first career Arkham Menard Series East victory at Dover Motor Speedway. And then Taylor Gray set the track qualifying record last year. He had a lap at 22.372 seconds and a speed of 160.915 miles per hour. And the race was uh, slowed four times, though, by cautions, which covered 15 laps. All right. Now, there is going to be a five-minute break at or around lap 63. Teams will be allowed to change tires, add fuel, and make repairs and adjustments during that time. So uh, that pretty much tells you about the ARCA East. Um, let's uh, let's take a look at... Um, the general tire, whoops, that's tickets. I want to look at the uh, entry list. All right, you want me to start at the bottom here? Yeah, let's go do that. All right. Uh, the zero one, Tim Monroe from Elmwood, Illinois, will be driving a Ford for Michelle Hillenberg. Shows him crew chief and as a for himself. Excuse me. Also, the number in the number ninety-eight is Dale Shearer from Alhambra, Illinois. Uh, he'll be driving the Shearer Speed Toyota uh, for Dale Shearer, his own race team. And Jimmy Edlin will be on top of the pit box. We talked about Venturini Motorsports. The number fifty-five Toyota for Billy Venturini is going to be Tony Breidinger out of Hillsboro, California with Caden Lapovich as the crew chief. And there's some other news. She's going to be making a truck series debut as well. Yeah, I saw that. Okay, Terry Strange will be on top of the uh, pit box for the Brad Smith number 48 from Shelby Township, Michigan. He'll be driving the Coprea Ford this weekend. Now he's get to hit on this one, the Goulet family. Uh, Tim Goulet owned and crew chief number 31, be driven by Rita Goulet from McCalla, Alabama, just outside Birmingham, and that'll be in a Chevrolet. All right. We just mentioned Luke Fenhouse. He'll be racing this weekend. He's out of Warsaw, uh, Wisconsin. He'll be driving the number 28 Pinnacle Racing Group Chevrolet uh, for Mark Webb, his team owner, and Shane Huffman will be on top of his pit box. This one listed under Kathy Venturini's name, but the number 25 Toyota driver will be Connor Jones with Jones Utilities on the machine. Comes out of Fredericksburg, Virginia. Kevin Reed Jr. is the crew chief. Shannon Rush will be uh, driving, uh, not driving, he's going to be the crew chief uh, for the Billy Venturini uh, number 20 Toyota driven by Jake Finch from Lynn Haven, Florida. Uh, he'll have Phoenix Construction on his uh, his car, and you'll remember the Finches. Um, I'm trying to think of his the other guy's name that owned uh, Phoenix Racing. Can't think of it, but he he's related. <laughs> Is it James, James Finch? James Finch, yep. Well, we talked about these next two. The number 18 is a Gibbs Racing Toyota. William Solowich out of Eden Prairie, Minnesota, and Ross will be calling the shots for that turkey sound gear machine. Okay, and we talked about Landon Lewis. 
from Ocean Isle Beach, North Carolina. He'll be driving the MMI number 17 Chevrolet for Steve McGowan. He'll have Richard Mason on top of his pit box. And the final Venturini machine is going to be that number 15, Ashan Hindurani. And he comes out of Irvine, California. He'll be bringing the gear wrench sponsorship with Monin Raymond. Raymond? Raman. As the crew chief. Raman? Yeah. I was thinking, I saw an article earlier today, and I was thinking we really ought to get that crew chief, uh, Monin Raman, on the show. Uh, we've had Sean on twice now already this season with his back-to-back wins. It would be nice to hear from the crew chief as well. All right, uh, driving the number 12 Hillenburg Toyota will be C.J. McLaughlin from Framingham. Um, I never know if that's Maryland or Massachusetts. I think it's Massachusetts. Uh, He'll have Sky Apps Apps on his uh, Toyota. John Skelsuski will be his crew chief. Well, I got an easy crew chief to pronounce here. Todd Parrott, and he'll be crew chief in the Hillenburg number 11 uh, racing rescues driven by Zachary Tinkle out of Speedway, Indiana. And uh, Dick Doheny will be on top of the pit box for the Hillenburg number 10 Ford driven by Ed Pompa from Boston Spa, New York. He'll have high torque of New York Double H Ranch on his Ford this weekend. And I believe there's an article on the main Arkham Menards page here on LaVar Scott, as he's going to be in the number six red racing machine of Max Siegel and Max Siegel Incorporated. He comes out of Carney's Point, New Jersey. He's got Jay Lupo as the crew chief. Yes, indeed. And that's all your drivers for the Arca East Race this weekend. Out at Dover International Speedway, the General Tire 125. Uh, so some exciting things going on. Uh, the East only has one race in their book so far, so we're not going to go over the points on that just yet. We'll wait until they get a few more races under their belt. Uh, we'll just suffice it to say that William Sawalich is on top of the leaderboard there. Uh, with his victory, but uh, a lot of people think LeVar Scott might be the guy to watch this weekend. There's, a, there's several on there, and then you got, again, Sean Hingarani going for the dual championship uh, in a Venturini Motorsports cell. Uh, I think there's going to be some good racing there at the Monster Mile. I do believe it will be very good racing if you're not already uh, a subscriber to ARCA Racing. Uh, where you can listen to the radio coverage or flow racing, where you can actually watch the live stream of the race. I would highly recommend <laughs> that you take a look at that. Uh, there's also a broadcast schedule over at arcoracing.com that tells you when the replays of all these races uh, will take place. And let's see here. Uh, let me look at this schedule. Uh, the one that just took place at a Kern County Raceway Park is actually going to be delayed broadcast on April the 30th on CNBC at 11 a.m. Uh, I always uh, encourage people, check your local listings just to make sure uh, that you uh, get the right time for your area. The race at Dover, that's going to be a delayed broadcast on May 7th, CNBC, again, at 11 a.m. So, uh, But 
try to catch it live if you can. These races are always uh, very exciting. Uh, they most certainly are, but I'll tell you this, even when I when I can't get them or find out the uh, winner, I still like to go back and watch. Some of these races, as you're watching, you know who the winner is, several laps to go, you got the question, well, I know where they get to, it's how, so uh, definitely interesting to kind of compare. Yeah, real quick, we do have the Dawn 150, May 6th over at Kansas Speedway. That's at 2 p.m. Eastern and will be televised on Fox Sports 1. That's the one that I was thinking of. And on June 2nd, the Arca West will be racing at Portland International Raceway at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. That will be live-streamed over at Flow Racing. So uh, you'll want to check that race out as well. Uh, we're going to go ahead and move over to uh, the next segment here, which is our... Um, which is our uh, program um, that uh, took place earlier this week. The NASCAR media met with, um, all of a sudden I'm going brain dead here. Uh, The NASCAR media Uh, on Tuesday met with Riley Herbst and also Ryan Priest. The interview is quite lengthy. It goes uh, over a half hour. But so we're only going to listen to the uh, interview with Riley Herbst, and uh, he drives the number 98 for Stuart Haas Racing uh, in their Ford, and uh, he answers a lot of really great questions here. Uh, we're going to listen to him to just under 11 minutes, and then uh, Jay and I will have just a few comments afterward. So uh, let's hear what uh, Riley had to say. All right, everyone, joining us here for our double header today, leading us off uh, and playing first base, uh, Riley Herbst, driver of the number 98 Monster Energy Ford Mustang in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Uh, Riley, appreciate you joining us in advance of Dover this weekend. If you've got a question for Riley, please raise your hand. We have him for about 15 minutes uh, before Ryan Priest joins us. So, uh, Riley, let's kick it off here with Nathan Solomon. He's got his hand raised. We'll get it started with Nathan. Go ahead. Thank you, Dan. Riley, appreciate you taking a few minutes to, to speak with us here. Um, obviously, you started off the season, you know, really strong, six top ten. Last couple of races, obviously, got a couple of DNS there. So what, what's the key for you to kind of get things back going in the right direction here at Dover this weekend? Yeah, I don't really think there's one thing. Um, I feel like at Richmond, we would have had a top three finish if we didn't get wrecked. In Martinsville, we should have finished six to eight. So that should have been another top ten, but we got wrecked as well. So in Taldega, Taldega. So I feel like our speed's there. And, um, just get back to what we've been doing in the start of the year, and uh, we'll be just fine. And then having a teammate who's here on the Xfinity side and Cole Custer, how beneficial has that been, been for you? Yeah, I think uh, very, very beneficial. I mean, as you kind of see, the program itself has been elevated uh, because of Cole and what he's brought to this program is is a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge for me to ask questions and lean on, and I feel like it's kind of translated to on-track success, as you guys saw for the first six weeks as well. Thanks, Dan. Riley, appreciate the time. Following up on Nathan's question, what do you feel like you've been improving on a lot in and out of the race car that's led to your best start of the season? I think there's a lot of things. I don't think it's just one. Um, I think it's consistency on and off the racetrack, working with my crew chief, Richard Boswell, understanding our our goals, 
um, how to execute on our goals. Um, my life outside of racing is, is very good. Um, I'm extremely happy when I get to the racetrack while I'm at the racetrack, and I think that leads to a lot of success, and uh, I'm confident every time I strap behind the wheel, and um, I enjoy what I do, so I think that also leads to good results, and looking forward to continuing this season. And you're the highest in points without a win to begin the year, and you've been coming all so close in a couple races. What do you think it'll take to get your first career Xfinity win? Uh, just keep knocking on the door, showing up to the racetrack each week. I feel like we have a shot to win, and um, I feel like we have good a shot, if not even better shot this weekend at Dover, um, a track where I enjoy, and I know we'll have good speed, so I'm looking forward to it. And if it's not Dover, then we'll head to Darlington and go try to win there. Appreciate the time, Riley. Best of luck this weekend. Thanks. Thank you, Marty. Let's go to Bob. Hey, Bob. Hey, uh, Riley. I'm curious now, kind of nine races or so into the Xfinity season, how much difference have you seen with the change in the rear end housing rules? Like, has it changed how you guys race much or how the cars handle much? I don't think it really changes how we race much, Bob. I think that um, the balance or the handling of the car has changed changed quite a bit, honestly, um, from every single racetrack, from short tracks to intermediates. And honestly, I would even say road courses, but we haven't really um, ran up road course yet, but that's kind of my guess before we head to Sonoma here in a few weeks. But, yeah, it definitely has changed the handling a little bit, and uh, we're just kind of all getting used to it as well. And the cup races that you've been doing this year, I mean, obviously you want to run your best, but how much of it is, learning cup racing and how much of it is, you know, you know, taking performance? Uh, yeah, the circumstances and things like that, it was more of just get my feet wet, complete all the laps. And um, we did complete all the laps in the 500 and this past weekend at Talladega, which um, we considered a success and the people around me considered a success. So um, I was happy with the result at the 500 and I felt like we could have been a few spots higher at Talladega as well. But, um, all in all, I think it was just a success, and hopefully we get some more opportunities. And I want to ask one more. I don't know. Did, did you look at many highlights of the Hemrick wreck? And, like, you know, what did you – I mean, because, you know, really looking back at it, he was really on, on – was he – how much of it was he on top of you? And, like, do you remember kind of what you – how much of his undercarriage did you actually see? Uh, yeah, I don't have many comments on that wreck. I think it could have easily been avoided. Um, and in my opinion, it should have been avoided. There was there was a, a late block with six to go that I think Sheldon was already to his door number. And then um, the only thing I saw was I think he has fruit on the hood of his car or something. It was just like a big strawberry in my face. And then um, next thing I know, I was in the infield care center. Yeah. Hey, Bob, thanks. Let's go to Kyle Dalton. Welcome to the call. Kyle, go ahead. Thanks, Riley. Hey, so I just wanted to ask you, last night on Race Up, uh, Kevin Harvick was on there and was talking about kind of giving you advice. And so I just kind of wanted to hear, you know, kind of the best advice you've received from him and what it means to you to have this guy who's, you know, going to be a Hall of Famer in his last year, kind of giving you this last year of guidance before he exits the sport. Yeah, it's really, uh, it's really an honor just to be a part of KHI and uh, the things he's helped me on the racetrack. Um, is a lot, and the things he's helped me off the racetrack is just as much. So um, just understanding the way a race flows and helping me understand the ups and downs of a race 
um, through one event and how you have to be there at the end to try to win one of these races and you can't win the race in the first stage. Um, but then as we progressed, he's, he's told me other things about how important it is with stage points and when to be aggressive, when to hold back a little bit. So um, just his advice and his mentorship has, has meant the world to me and I feel like it's helped me perform at a higher level for sure. Okay, and then the uh, other question along with what Bob asked as far as accidents, that Blaine Perkins accident, you know, so when you go back and look at it, I know they talked about it on the broadcast, how Joey and Brad, when you see something like that, it makes you really reflect on what, you, what you're doing and you guys are in a perilous sport. So when you saw what happened and you saw him tumbling down the track, what goes through your mind? Uh, quite frankly is when can we get the race started again? I was wanting to get going, and um, I think you could ask anybody in the field. It was the same thing. I think we understand the inherent dangers of this sport, um, but we love it. And then I got in a big wreck, and next morning I strapped into a cup car and went for 500 miles. So I don't really think we think too much of a danger. Um, that's just kind of not how we're wired when it comes to that. We want to keep it going and try to go win the race. Thank you. Good luck this weekend. Thanks. Kyle, thank you. Uh, let's go to Dustin Long. Go ahead, Dustin. Thank you. Hey, Riley, uh, I'm curious, did you get a look at Ryan Priest's accident, and, and in particular the in-car video of, of what he went through in that accident? And if so, I'm curious from uh, a competitor, a driver's point of view, what do you see, what, what stands out to you when you look at what his body went through as you look at what you can do with your seat or, or your belt? or things like that. Obviously, you know, I think for a lot of fans, to <clears throat> me, they, you know, they probably forget how violent some of these incidences can be. And I think it was kind of a wake-up call in that sense. But I'm curious how you look at it because you're in the midst of it. I'm sure you probably look at things a little bit differently or, or even, I don't know if say study, but just kind of see how some of the safety things work or how Ryan did, did things. Yeah, um, there's a, a lot there, Dustin. The first off is I, I kind of – wish we had those high-speed cameras in the Xfinity cars as well because I'd be curious to compare what I look like to Ryan look like because um, the incidents were actually very, very similar. And what is odd to me is how different the two race cars looked. Um, I can't really expand on that because I don't know much about the building of the race car, but <laughs> my race car is gone. It's going to the shredder, and Ryan Priest's race car is it's in the shop next door. I think actually went over to NASCAR and um, yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting to look at the two comparisons of the wreck. Um, the five car went up the track and got T-boned by the 41 and in my case, the 11 went up the track and I T-boned him. And, um, so I'd be curious to see what mine looked like, but it looked brutal um, from Ryan's point of view and it was kind of scary to, to watch it a little bit um, to the previous questions. I, I don't really like watching Ryan's in car that much. Do you, um, and I'm curious, with what you saw when you went through, do you feel like your body kind of went through some of the similar things? And I understand it's it's different speeds, different, you know, not different cars and things like that. So I know it's not necessarily apples to apples, but like you said, it was, it's interesting that similar type of incidents is two days in a row. And I'm just curious what you saw him go through. Did you feel like you, your body moved without being able to see the, the high-speed cameras? Like you say, you don't have those cars. Yeah, I think it was similar. Um, I was talking to Ryan on the flight home, and I think we were complaining about the same things, a little bit of stiffness in the neck and 
things like that. Um, he has a different tub than I have as well, and we obviously have different body styles and shapes. So um, that's kind of the only thing I could really take from it. I, I know that I adjusted my seat belts yesterday. Um, people from HMS came to adjust some lowers and subs just to get more comfortable at a high frontal impact like that. Other than that, I feel like um, I'm good and ready to strap in the car at Dover. And one last thing, is that the change in the belts, was that a response to what happened last weekend, or was that something that you were already looking at doing and, and thinking about, and it just the way the schedule worked out to have it done at that point? A uh, response to this past weekend, um, it just was uncomfortable, and I feel like the new situation, God forbid it happens again, I feel like I'd be more comfortable. All right. Uh, that completes the interview with Riley Earps. Uh, your, your thoughts about some of his comments, Jay? Well, I don't know his whole backstory, but it, it, something he said right from the beginning, um, as far as his best start to his career, being good on and off the track. Um, mm-hmm. I know we've talked about him in the past of one of those that maybe self-creates some problems when he has a bad race, brings himself down, and thus uh, kind of digs the hole deeper and you know, being good off the track, you heard it, he said, hey, we'll try and win uh, here at Dover. If not, we'll move on to Darlington. Same thing when he talked about the crashes and, and these things of, yeah, you don't want to think about it as a driver. You know the risk, but you kind of put it out. Now, he answered the questions, but they were real short and to the point be like, yeah, we looked at some things and, you know, I don't want to watch the video no more. You know, so they kind of <laughs> blocked that out. But being able to yeah. do that, I mean, even while answering repeated questions about it when he said, I really don't like to look at it or think about it, and they kept that, he answered them, but they were short. We'll make it safer and move on. Yeah, yeah, really. Uh, Riley is one of those guys that we've uh, spent a lot of time talking with here at Sam Racing Radio, uh, going back to his Canon Pro Series days. Uh, and uh, it's been fun watching him kind of come up through the ranks. Um, he's he's uh, going through a learning curve, obviously, in the Xfinity Series. Uh, Stuart Huss Racing hasn't been at its best uh, during the time that he's going through that learning curve, uh, but I thought it was interesting uh, that he's part of the KHI uh, development program and that uh, he's got this chance this rare opportunity to have uh, Kevin Harvick in his final year of racing as a mentor and uh, how much he's enjoying that. So uh, I think he has uh, shown some big improvements this year. And I think the other part of that is having Cole Custer, who, again, you know, Cole Custer is one of those guys as well that we've seen through the uh, Can-Am Pro Series, and they're good friends. So for them to be racing together here in the Xfinity Series, I think has been a huge boost uh, for Riley Herbst. And uh, I'm real happy that he's uh, showing some real positive results this year. Fourth in the series point standings, the highest-ranked driver without a win. So uh, that's saying something for Riley, and, and it is a really good start to his season. And, and there's two parts there. You mentioned having the teammate, which he said he acknowledged Cole Custer and what he brings to the team but then also getting to talk with and learn from Kevin Harvick. And the nickname, The Closer, he mentioned the different parts of that, how you take the flow of the race. You know, you may run good all race, but if you're not finishing there, if you're not closing, and that's what I think he's done this year is manage that. So uh, 
I think that has been a huge asset to him. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, we are going to move on now. Um, before I do that, though, I know uh, uh, you're taking a look at the uh, uh, Ryan Priest interview, and we might see uh, a piece from you uh, with regard to Ryan Priest coming up at Danvers Racing, correct? Yeah, I got some thoughts in Chris's interview. Getting uh, a couple of things, but Riley Herb ties into it. I don't want to give such away and get it formatted, but um, looking at these drivers of getting their shot, if you will, uh, I'll leave it at that of getting their shot at the Cup Series. Okay, very good, very good. We'll look forward to reading that, Jay. All right, uh, we do have some updates here for the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series, the Heart of America 200. Uh, will not take place until Kansas Speedway on Saturday, May the 6th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, we will preview that uh, the Thursday beforehand, but right now we've got a few notes here that we want to share with everybody uh, to kind of keep everybody in the loop while they take uh, a break here. Well, I'll start with one. I'll amend it at the end, but as I have it listed, a craftsman for NASCAR craftsman trucks to drivers entered into this weekend at Dover, as you mentioned, not racing. Um, so the four drivers that are scheduled to compete in this Saturday's Xfinity race would be Tricon Garages' Tori Heim, as he'll make his Xfinity Series debut this weekend, piloting the number 24 Sam Hunt Racing Toyota. Now, Heim won the most recent NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series race at Martinsville Speedway. Then you got GMS Racing's Rajak Ruth. He'll get behind wheel at number 45 Alpha Prime Racing Toyota. The Craftsman Truck Series rookie has participated in nine Xfinity races in the last two years as an average finish of 22.8. This will be his second time visiting Dover Motor Speedway. Uh, he finished 38th at the track in 2022 after experiencing expansion issues. Uh, Hill Motorsports, Timmy Hill, he's entered into this weekend in the number 66 Motorsports Business Management Chevrolet. Uh, Hill is no stranger to the Xfinity Series. He's participated in 239 races since 2011, including nine at Dover. And his best finish there is 16th in 2019. Now, this is one i got to amend. Uh, nice Motorsports' Carson Hosar uh, was scheduled to attend his Dover debut in the Xfinity Series this weekend, piloting the number 77 Spire Motorsports Chevrolet. Uh, he made his debut at Coda earlier this season, but only ran seven laps before being taken out for a transmission issue. They have withdrawn their entry and are now going to uh, do it at Darlington. Yeah, I guess uh, with the uh, rain in the forecast this weekend, they're afraid that they're going to get there and not even be able to qualify, which would automatically eliminate him from contention. So uh, they're going to kind of well, save the funds and put it toward Darlington, I guess. I didn't, I didn't want to keep harping on them either, but, yeah, that is what we listed as reasoning. <laughs> oh, do you think there's something more to it? No, I I do. I, I, I don't want to think about that because we got a lot of racing going on. But, yeah, that was one of the, the issues uh, was the weather. And as mentioned, there is more Xfinity, Xfinity drivers listed than are going to start. So, and they don't have uh, owner points and standing to fall back on. Right, exactly. 
All right. Up next, we have four competitors that are actually locked into the Craftsman Truck Series uh, playoffs. Uh, nine races are left in the regular season. That's kind of hard to believe. It feels like we just started. Uh, we're going to take a look at the Craftsman Truck Series playoff standings. Uh, four drivers have locked themselves in uh, by virtue of a win this season. That includes Zane Smith with wins at Daytona and Coda. Christian Eckes won at Atlanta, Carson Hosefar at Texas, and most recently, Corey Heim at Martinsville. Currently in on points, again, four drivers have built up their points cushion of 35 points or more over the playoff cut line uh, following Martinsville. That includes Ty Majeski, who's uh, 20, 127 points to the good, Ben Rhodes, uh, plus 78, Grant Infinger, plus 37, and Matt Crafton plus 35. Now just 27 points above that cut line and ranked ninth in the playoff outlook is Tricon Garage's uh, Tanner Gray. Following behind Gray is Rackley Wars' uh, Matt DiBenedetto. He's just 11 points above that cutoff. Uh, those drivers that are on the outside looking in, uh, there's another 10 drivers that sit outside the playoff cut line but still have plenty of time to race their way into the Truck Series playoffs. That includes Kyle Busch Motorsports' Chase Purdy, who sits 11th. Uh, he's 11 points behind Matt Benedetto. Then Sunoco Rookie of the Year candidate Nick Sanchez is also 11 points off the final playoff position. Following Purdy and Sanchez is Jake Garcia. He's back 33 points from the cutoff. Stuart Friesen, negative 36. Haley Deegan, uh, down 43 points. Tyler Ankrum, down 46. Kobe Howard uh, takes a jump at negative 62. Rajah Karuth at negative 67. Chris Wright, uh, down 72. And Daniel Dye, down 87 points. So, uh, again, uh, we've got a lot. We've got uh, a lot of racing left. Nine races in the regular season. That's unreal, Jay. <laughs> yeah, that kind of caught me off guard as well. Uh, it seems to have just blown by. I know they got a little bit shorter schedule, but I uh, didn't think it was that short. Now we're going to look at making their way through the ranks as the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series approaches that halfway point of the regular season, several drivers have put themselves in a favorable position compared to last year. Uh, with the win under his belt at Martinsville, Corey Hyam has locked himself into the 2023 NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series, a feat he had hoped to accomplish in 2022. Hyam uh, is currently fourth in the standings after finishing 14th last season. Of Thor Sport Racing's Haley Deegan had an unfortunate start to the season, being taken out early in Daytona and Las Vegas, but she's bouncing back. And Deegan tied her career best finish, sixth at Talladega in 2022, at Texas Motor Speedway this year, and continues to run close to the top ten. Although she did not make the playoffs last year, she still has plenty of time to race her way in this season. She's currently sitting 43 points outside that cutoff line with those nine regular season races left. And then Tricon Garage's Tanner Gray, and he has two top five finishes this season. Uh, starting this 2023 season off strong, Gray recorded his best career finish at Daytona of second. The driver, the number 17, as mentioned, sits eighth in the standings 
after finishing 15th last year. All right. There's also six different Truck Series winners in seven races. Uh, Through those seven races uh, this season, six different winners have gone to Victory Lane. And when the series returns to action next weekend at Kansas Speedway for the Heart of America 200, uh, it could very well see a seventh different winner. Zane Smith, Kyle Busch, Christian Eckes, Carson Hosevar, Joey Logano, Corey Heim have all raced their way into Victory Lane this season. Smith is the only two-time winner so far. So Thor Sport Racing's Matt Crafton is searching for his first win, uh, and it could certainly be on the horizon. Crafton has three wins at Kansas. That ties him for the all-time series lead at the track with Kyle Busch. Of the six different winners this year, uh, Smith, Eckes, Hosfar, and Heim are the four that have earned a spot into the playoffs for the truck series by virtue of their wins. And this season, Front Row Motorsports' Zane Smith is looking to become just the second driver in series history to win consecutive championships. If he does that, he will join Matt Crafton, who accomplished that feat in 2013 and 14. So we've got some uh, fun racing to look forward to here in the Craftsman Truck Series, but not until next weekend out at Kansas Speedway. We're going to go ahead. I know we're ahead of the... I was going to say, just thinking about that with the championship already, Zane Smith, uh, only one driver, Matt Crafton, to have won consecutive championships. Uh, we've seen Zane Smith. I mean, he finished second, second, and then won it. Um, so he certainly could join that short list of one uh, to do consecutive championships. He certainly could. Okay, now we're going to go ahead and move on to the Xfinity Series. Uh, They are racing this weekend, the A-Game 200 at Dover Motor Speedway. Uh, That's Saturday, April the 29th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Pre-race coverage will start at 12.30 p.m. on Fox Sports 1, radio coverage on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll race a distance of 200 miles over 200 laps. The first two stages are 45 laps apiece. Lap, stage 1 ends on lap 45, stage 2 on lap 90, and then the last stage is 110 laps, ending on lap 200. So what do we have in the Xfinity Series, Jay? We got Kyle Larson, but it's going to be with joining Kyle, uh, colleague racing at Darlington. The 2021 Cup Series champion, Kyle Larson, and he'll be pulling double duty at Darlington Raceway in a few weeks. He'll be getting behind the wheel of number 10. It'll be Hendrick dot, or HendrickCars.com uh, sponsorship for the Chevrolet of College Racing. And this will be Larson's first Xfinity start of the 2023 season. Okay, along with that, Corey Heim is going to make his Xfinity Series debut out at Dover's for Sam Hunt Racing. Uh, he's the latest uh, product of the NASCAR ladder system, ladder system uh, and a Craftsman Truck Series contender. Uh, Corey Heim is going to attempt that debut this weekend out at Dover Motor Speedway in the number 24 Toyota for Sam Hunt Racing. He has worked his way up the ladder in NASCAR, competing in the Arkham Menard Series East and West from 2020 through 21. He competed full-time in the Arkham Menard Series in 2021, finishing runner-up in the standings after posting six wins uh, in the year. 
and still finishing runner-up. So uh, it tells you how good uh, I think Ty Gibbs won that championship. Uh, this weekend will also be Himes National Series debut, uh, the first time he's raced out in NASCAR's top three uh, with his debut at uh, Dover this weekend. Well, we talked about this a little bit with the uh, race cars, but there is also a shakeup in the standings for the NASCAR Xfinity Series after Dega. The NASCAR Xfinity Series is heading into its 10th race of the 33-race season, and five drivers have earned their spot in the playoffs with their respective wins. Uh, Austin Hill has won at Daytona, Las Vegas, and Atlanta. John Hunter Nemechek at Auto Club in Martinsville. Sammy Smith at Phoenix, Chandler Smith at Richmond, and most recently, Jeb Burton at Talladega. Now, with 16 races left in the regular season and seven spots still up for grabs, a lot can happen over these next few months. Richard Childress Race in Boston Hill currently sits atop the Xfinity Series standings with 328 points. But Joe Gibbs Racing's John Hunter Nemechek isn't giving him much wiggle room as he's sitting just four points behind with 324. When you got Colleague Racing's Chandler Smith slides in at third with 309 points, and our uh, interview from Media Day for Cross Racing's Riley Earps, uh, who is still itching to post his first NASCAR Xfinity Series win, but has made the playoffs in all three of his full-time, series, full-time seasons in the series, and he sits in fourth with 296 points. JRM teammates Josh Berry and Justin Algar sit fifth and sixth respectively. One of those two could very well clinch their spot in the playoffs this weekend at Dover Motor Speedway as both drivers have won at the track. Mentioned his teammate Cole Custer is at minus 49 and Sheldon Creed at minus 52. They take up the next two spots in the standings. And then Sammy Smith takes up the ninth spot with 258 points. And Daniel Hemrick at minus 73 and Parker Kligerman at minus 81 are currently 10th and 11th, respectively. And JRM driver Sam Mayer takes up the final playoff spot at the moment with 237 points. Mayer ran his first full-time season last season, made it into the 2022 playoffs, ultimately finished seventh in the overall standings. Okay, let's talk about the big money uh, from the final round of the Dash for Cash. Uh, Cole Custer, uh, with a top-five finish from Stuart Haas Racing, cashed in last weekend at Talladega for that Dash for Cash bonus. He beat out Josh Berry, John Hunter Nemechek, and Sammy Smith, who all fell victims to the wild racing that you expect at Talladega Super Speedway last weekend. Now Custer is going to have the opportunity to win that final round of the Dash for Cash at Dover, and this time alongside new competitors. Uh, Joining him in this race for that bonus are Jeb Burton, the Talladega winner, Sheldon Creed, and Parker Kligerman. Coming off that win at Talladega, Jordan Anderson Racing's Jeb Burton is looking to carry his new momentum into Dover. He has made five starts at the one-mile track where he's posted one top-ten finish. That was in 2020. Now, Richard Childress Racing's Sheldon Creed made his first start at Dover uh, just last season where he posted an eighth-place finish. 
Creed has yet to post a win in the Xfinity Series, but coming off his runner-up finish last weekend at Talladega, and he did well at the Phoenix one-mile track earlier this year when he finished third. In his nine starts this season, he has two top fives and five top tens. So uh, he could be one to watch this weekend. Also, Parker Kligerman heads up into the weekend with three Xfinity Series starts at Dover. And in his three appearances, he's posted one top ten finish. uh, And that's the big machine racing driver. Hasn't raced in the Xfinity Series race at Dover since 2013. But he has run in the Craftsman Truck Series race at the track in 2016, 17, 18, and 2020. So uh, those are four drivers to definitely keep your eye on this weekend out at Dover. Well, I want to say this. When it comes for the Dash for Cash program here, following Talladega, if you want to take a positive from it, the names that are eligible for this weekend at Dover uh, I don't know that Parker Kligerman has ever been eligible for it, as well as Jeb Burton. I think Sheldon Creed maybe has once, but to see some new names in that mix is really cool. Yeah, it is indeed. Now, when we look at conquering the Monster Mile, the question that is, will they do it again? For this weekend's A-Game 200, there's three drivers who have already triumphed at Dover Motor Speedway and uh, triumphed at Dover Motor Speedway that are entered and will be heading back to the track with the hopes of finding themselves in victory lane yet again. Those are going to be Joel, uh, Justin Algar, Cole Custer, and Josh Berry. Tried to put all three of those names into one. Algar first conquered the Monster Mile in 2018 after completely dominating the race, leading 104 of the 200 laps. Uh, one, one win wasn't enough, though, for the junior motorsports driver as he came back in 2020 to show that his 2018 was not from luck. He once again took the control of the race, leading 120 laps of the race. He's currently riding a streak of nine consecutive top ten finishes at the track. In total, Algar has 22 starts at Dover, posting two wins coming in 2018 and 20, 11 top fives, 15 top 10, and has led a total of 514 laps. Now, Custer's win, that came in 2019 after starting the race from the third position. The Stuart Haas racing driver has made six Xfinity Series starts at the Motor Speedway, where he's posted one win in 2019, four top fives, five top 10s, and has led a a total of 224 laps. His last start at the next 50 series was in 2019, but he wasn't taking a break from the Monster Mile. From 2020 to 2022, he made four starts at the track in the NASCAR Cup Series, where he posted two top tens. Now, Barry is the most recent Xfinity Series driver to claim a victory at the Monster Mile. The junior motorsports driver has only made two stops at the track, but already proved to be a force in the field. In his debut at the track in 2021, posted a run-up finish, and then came back the following year in 2022 to snatch that win. All right. Uh, so we'll see if they can do it again. 
Uh, the NASCAR Xfinity Series is going to take on the Dover's Monster Mile this weekend and bring their A-game for the A-game 200 uh, at the track uh, for their 10th race of the 2023 season. This will be the 77th Xfinity Series race hosted by Dover. The previous 76 races have produced 52 different race winners and 48 different pole winners. Eight races have been won from the pole or the first starting spot. Most recently, Kyle Larson did it in 2017. Two-time NASCAR Cup Series champion uh, Kyle Busch holds the record for the most Xfinity Series wins. He has five uh, there. He's also led at 1,349 laps on the Monster Mile, and he's tied with Justin Algauer for the most top tens at 15. Reigning Cup Series champ Joey Logano holds a few records himself. He snagged uh, the race record in 2013 with a speed of 131.219 miles per hour, and he's tied with Harry Gant for the most poles at five. On-track activity for the Xfinity Series will kick off this Friday, that's tomorrow, April 28th, with practice at 3.05 p.m. Eastern, followed by qualifying at 3.35 p.m. Eastern, all televised on Fox Sports 1. Next up, we're going to get into the uh, NASCAR Cup Series. Uh, they'll be racing the Worth 400 at Dover on Sunday, April the 30th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Fox Sports 1 will carry pre-race coverage starting at 1 p.m. Coverage is also available at PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing 400 miles over 400 laps. First two stages, uh, well, let's see, the first stage is 120 laps. Uh, the second stage is 120, well, it would be 130 laps, if I'm reading that right. And then the final stage would end on the last lap, which would be 150 laps. And uh, the last lap is lap 400. So uh, we've got a lot, as usual, we have a lot to cover here in the Cup Series, Jay. Well, Dover is known for a lot of different military things and their involvement. We've got the U.S. Naval Academy. Drum and Bugle Corps is going to perform the national anthem at Dover Motor Speedway. The U.S. Naval Academy Drum and Bugle Corps has two performances slated for Sunday, April 30th, before the Worth 400 NASCAR Cup Series race. Comprised of 100 midship, midshipmen from all classes and majors, the U.S. Naval Academy Drum and Bugle Corps will perform in front of the Monster Monument at Victory Plaza, uh, presented by Ally, at 11.15 a.m. on Sunday, April 30th, and then make their way to the front stretch for the National Anthem prior to the 2 p.m. green flag. And the Corps was formed in 1914, and the U.S. Naval Academy Drum and Bugle Corps is the oldest active drum corps in the nation. All right. Uh, Chastain is going to drive uh, a dirt late model at Georgetown Speedway on Friday. So in addition to driving the number one track house racing Chevrolet this weekend, uh, Chase will also race the number 41 dirt late model for Nice Motorsports at Georgetown Speedway this Friday. Georgetown is uh, located at the intersection of Route 113 and Speedway Road in Georgetown, Delaware. 
Hot laps will begin at 6.20 p.m. Eastern Time with racing set to begin at 7.20 Eastern Time. Again, that's uh, all going to happen tomorrow if you want to catch some uh, dirt late model racing in Ross Chastain behind the wheel of that number 41 for Nice Motorsports. All right, we got a Goodyear tire test at New Hampshire. Uh, we got Bell, Keslowski, and Elliott commenting on that. As Christopher Bell, Brad Keslowski, and Chase Elliott made comments about the tire test, they p- participated in a New Hampshire Motor Speedway this weekend ahead of the Crayon 301, which will be on July 16th. Uh, Christopher Bell, driver of the number 20 Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing. For me, I've always felt like having a test at a racetrack has been extremely beneficial. Getting laps at Loudoun is certainly beneficial when we come back here in July, and I think all three of us should be pretty successful when we come back for the race. Brad Keselowski, driver of the number six Ford for RFK Racing. With New Hampshire being such a great track for me, having won races here and winning the lottery to get to test here, is certainly a track for us to bring our A game <laughs> Uh, We're certainly making a lot of progress today and look forward to hopefully finding a little bit more tomorrow as they get ready for the race here in a few months. And Chase Elliott, driver of the number nine Chevrolet for Hendrick Motorsports. Uh, This has historically been my best track. We had an okay run here last year, and I think I was really fortunate to run second to Christopher Bell. But at the end of the day, it's always good to go to a test at a place that you don't feel like you've done a very good job and at least that's the case for me. All right, so three varying opinions there on the tire test. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, also, and I think this is very cool, uh, Pitbull is going to name his upcoming album uh, Trackhouse. Uh, this week, the multi-platinum Grammy award-winning artist Pitbull announced he will release his 12th internationally distributed album on July the 7th under the title Trackhouse and the number 99 Trackhouse Racing Team will run the album cover paint scheme for this Sunday out at Dover. Uh, that'll be in the NASCAR Cup Series race. So uh, I, I saw the album cover. I've seen the uh, paint scheme for uh, Daniel Suarez number 99, and uh, I think this is a really cool cross-promotion, and I think it's going to... Uh, be really good for Trackhouse. It's going to be really good uh, for the Pitbull brand as well. It is. You mentioned that the crossover there is extremely huge. Now, Talladega Super Speedway, as we're still looking from this past weekend, put up some record passing statistics. Now, last weekend's NASCAR Cup Series race at Talladega Super Speedway was a great show, and the stats are here to back it up. The 2023 Talladega first race produced highest total of green flag passes for the lead. The NASCAR Cup Series has ever had in a season. Jay, Jay, excuse me. I thought nobody could pass at Talladega. (laughs) (laughs) I'm being ornery. (laughs) Yeah, just a twist. Yeah, no, I... (laughs) I really thought I skipped a section. I was scrolling down to find what I skipped when you were trying to jump in there. Well, apparently the the stats prove otherwise. Uh, Yes, indeed. Uh, So it was the highest single event. There were 308 green flag passes for the lead. 
which surpassed the previous record of 219 green flag passes for the lead, uh, which was set at Talladega in the fall of 2013, 10 years ago. So the 2023 first race there at Talladega with those 308 green flag passes for the lead saw an increase of 146.4% in that category compared to the 2022 Talladega, the first event, um, was at 125 green flag passes for the lead. The three tracks this season have set track records for green flag passes for the lead. Daytona, Richmond, and now Talladega. The 2023 NASCAR Cup Series season has produced a total of 750 green flag passes for the lead through the first 10 points-paying races of the year. Again, series most since the loop data statistic was initially tabulated in 2005, which has been 19 seasons. This Talladega race at 15,000 33 green flag passes, not necessarily for the lead, just green flag passes, saw an increase of 87.3% in total green flag passes compared to the 2022 Talladega first event, which only had 8,025. That's an increase of 7,000. And the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series season has produced 55,025 total green flag passes in those first 10 points-paying races of the year. Uh, Again, that's the series most since that leaked data statistic initially tabulated in 2005. So we see the improvement. Um, But there's a perception that there's no passing. It it just amazes me. All right. Uh, Hendrick Motorsports uh, announced earlier this week that Alex Bowman is going to be out three to four weeks because of an injury. Uh, Alex Bowman, driver of the number 48 Chevrolet for Hendrick, uh, is not going to p- compete this weekend in the Cup Series at Dover uh, because he has a fractured vertebrae. He is expected to miss about that three to four weeks. Bowman, who leads the Cup Series in average finish through 10 points-paying races so far this year, suffered the compression fracture from an accident Tuesday evening while competing in a sprint car event at 34 Raceway in West Burlington, Iowa. That's not uh, that's pretty close to to where I am. Uh, the 30-year-old driver was treated locally last night, well, earlier this week, and evaluated again in Charlotte, North Carolina. Josh Berry, who is 32, is going to fill in for Bowman uh, during his recovery. And earlier this season, he was a substitute for Hendrick Motorsports driver Chase Elliott in five cup events with a best finish of second on April 2nd out at Richmond Raceway. The Hendersonville, Tennessee native competes full-time for Hendrick Motorsports affiliate Junior Motorsports in the NASCAR Xfinity Series where he has five career wins. So uh, Josh Berry uh, standing in again for another Hendrick Motorsports driver. Um, I feel bad for Alex Bowman. He's he's uh, a great guy, uh, but he's doing the right things by being out of that race car for three or four weeks. I don't know if you saw the video, Jay, uh, but uh, it was pretty scary watching his uh, sprint car roll over, uh, not just once or twice, but several times. And I can see why he has that fractured vertebrae. 
Yeah, and I know that's one I think we have on the board for hot topics. It's a repeat, but we're going to have to talk about it again. <laughs> yeah. Now, okay. the playoff Polaroid, that's coming in, to, but it's still a little fuzzy. We have 10 NASCAR Cup teams races in the bowl this season, and the playoff picture is starting to take shape. So far, seven drivers have earned their spot in the postseason by virtue of a win, leaving nine spots set up for grabs as this heads to Dover Motor Speedway for the 400 on Sunday. Now, the fast seven that have earned a spot in the playoffs already this season on wins are Kyle Larson with two wins, Kyle Busch as well now with two wins, William Byron got his two early, and then we've got Christopher Bell, Tyler Reddick, Joey Logano, and Ricky Stenhouse Jr., which each have one win. Last season, 19 different drivers visited Victory Lane in the NASCAR Cup Series, led by Hendrick Motorsports' Chase Elliott with five wins, including this weekend's Monster Mile. This season, 12 of those 19 winners from last year are looking for their first win of the 2023 season this weekend. And that includes Elliott, Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Ross Chastain, mentioned Alex Bowman, obviously isn't going to get it right now, Austin Sindrick, Austin Dillon, Bubba Wallace, Chase Briscoe, Chris Buescher, Daniel Suarez, and then Eric Jones. Of the 12 looking for their first win in 2023, four are former Dover Cup winners, Kevin Harvick, Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, and Denny Hamlin. A Trackhouse Racing's Ross Chastain holds the biggest points cushion between himself and the playoff cutoff heading into Dover this weekend as he's up 90 points. The watch for Chase to be a contender this weekend. He finished third in this race last season. I'm sorry, Chastain. Uh, Yeah, watch for Chastain. uh, Finished third here in this race last season. At the other end of the playoff outlook sits last season's Dover Pole winner, Chris Buescher. He's currently 16th in the standings. 11 points up on track house racing is Daniel Suarez, who's in 17th, which is the first position outside the postseason cutoff. Last season, RFK Chris Busher ran well at Dover. He scored the pole and then posted an eighth-place finish, where Suarez finished 14th in last season's race. So we mentioned uh, Ross Jastain is up 90. Kevin Harvick in ninth is up 82. Martin Truex Jr. in 10th, up 52. Ryan Blaney up 47 and 11th. Bowman's going to drop here, and this is where the fuzzy picture is kind of really coming into play. Uh, he's up 41, as well as Denny Hamlin in 13. Brad Keselowski at 38. Chase Briscoe up 14. And then Chris Busher up 11 is your 16. Then Suarez is back 11. Austin Sindrick minus 27. Michael McDowell at minus 38. Ty Gibbs, rookie, at minus 41. Bubba Wallace is minus 49. What's that? Just go to under 100 because we're going to run out of time, Jay. Okay. Um, Who else is there? Todd Dillon, Corey LaJoy, Eric Almarola uh, as your top 25. Now, keep in mind, you have to... Compete in every race of the season to be eligible for the playoffs or be granted the waiver by NASCAR. And I know that Bowman's team is applying for one. I don't know if that's been granted yet. Okay. We'll have to keep an eye out for that. Next Gen delivers high-speed competition. The 2023 Cup Series season is off to another 
very highly competitive start and below are some of the statistics for the first 10 races that this season has produced. Uh, the Cup Series season has an average of 11.3 lap leaders per race through the first 10 races this year, which is the eighth most in the 52 years of the modern era coverage from 72 to the current year. That's up uh, 8.7% from last year. In total, 33 different drivers have led laps in the first 10 races of the year, uh, led by Hendrick Motorsports driver uh, Kyle Larson at 468 laps led. That's 18.13% of the total 2,581 laps run. Uh, the 2023 Cup Series season has also produced an average of 23.2 lead changes per race through these first 10 races, the 10th most in the modern era from 72 to the current year. That's up 1.8% from last year's 22.8 average lead changes. In total, uh, for this year, the NASCAR Cup season, ha- Cup series season has produced 232 lead changes in those first 10 races. Daytona with 52, Fontana 28, Las Vegas 13, Phoenix 10, Atlanta 20, Austin 16, Richmond 22, Bristol Dirt 9, Martinsville 10, and Talladega 57. That's up four lead changes from last season's 228 through the first 10 races. Uh, the 23 Cup Series season has an average margin of victory at 1.604 seconds, with uh, three of these 10 uh, races of the season finishing with a margin of victory under a second. And five of the first 10 uh, Cup Series races of the season have resulted in overtime finishes. They include Daytona, Las Vegas, Phoenix, Austin, and Talladega. Uh, amazing how the perception is that we haven't seen good racing, and yet the stats are backing up that it's been there. Well, certainly interesting as we end up getting closer to hot topics. We'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, I get the feeling Sharon wants to. Now, the defending <laughs> over winner, Chase Elliott, is looking for that first win of 2023. He's mired back in the NASCAR Cup Series point standings after he was sidelined earlier this season due to a broken leg. Cup Series' most popular driver and defending winner last season's race at Dover, Chase Elliott heads to the Monster Mile this weekend looking to get his first win as a 2023 season, much like he did last year. Uh, This year and last year for Elliott have been vastly different. In In 2022, the Dawsonville, Georgia native was atop the point standings heading into Dover and rolled into the one-mile track fast off the hauler. He qualified fourth and led 73 laps in route to his first of five wins uh, last year, Dover, Nashville, Atlanta, Pocono, and then Talladega. Now Elliott returns, though, to the Monster Mile, looking for his first win of the 2023, 2023 season, riding a winless streak that dates back to Talladega on October 2nd of 2022, which was 15 races ago, nine of which he's only competed in, though. You know, taming the concrete mile at Dover has come naturally for Elliott, though. In 12 series starts at the Monster Mile, he's collected one pole, wins in 2018 and 2022, nine top fives, and led 394 laps at Dover with an average finish of 9.750, one of just two active drivers with that average finish inside of the top 10, 
And his other is Hendrick Motorsport teammate Kyle Larson at 6.929. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm going to just hit some of the highlights here in this next section. Three teams have dominated at Dover over the last 18 races from 2013 to 23, so for the past 10 years. Uh, only three teams have visited Victory Lane uh, in those 18 races. Hendrick Motorsports, nine wins during that time. Joe Gibbs Racing with five, and Stuart Haas Racing with four wins. The most recent win at Dover was Hendrick Motorsports when Chase Elliott drove uh, to the win last year. Uh, it, it was the Cup Series leading 22nd victory among seven different drivers at Dover. Jimmy Johnson has 11, Jeff Gordon 5, Chase Elliott 2, Jeff Bodine, Ken Schrader, Ricky Rudd, and Alex Bowman all have one. Nine of the 22 wins have come in the last 18 races. That's 50% or half of the events during that Ten or nine-year period. Not far behind HMS in wins uh, was Joe Gibbs with a total of nine, uh, five of them coming in the last 18 events. And, uh, again, in the last nine years, Joe Gibbs' uh, most recent driver to win at Dover was Denny Hamlin in 2020, followed by Martin Truex in 19 and 16, and Kyle Busch in 17, and Matt Kenseth in 2016. The third organization to jump in on the wins uh, column at Dover during that time frame is Stewart Haas Racing with four victories among two drivers, Tony Stewart in 13, Kevin Harvick in 15, 18, and 20. Uh, this season, seven different drivers from six different organizations have won at least one race in the first ten events, led by Kyle Busch, William Byron, Kyle Larson, but all with two victories. Hendrick Motorsports leads all of the organizations with wins, with four victories, followed by Richard Childress Racing with two, JTG Doherty Racing, Joe Gibbs Racing, 2311 Racing, and Team Penske each have one win this year. So uh, the next section uh, is our last section. So we'll see if we can get that in, Jay. All right, well, we got the Monster Mile awaiting the NASCAR Cup Series in Dover Motor Speedway. We got through the wild Talladega Super Speedway race last Sunday, which saw Richard Childress Racing's Kyle Busch grab his second victory of the 2023 season. But the Monster Mile is aptly nicknamed as Dover Motor, Sport Speed, Dover Motor Speedway is a one-mile concrete paved oval located right there in Dover, Delaware. It's originally known as Dover Downs International Speedway, has hosted 104 NASCAR Cup Series races dating back to the inaugural event, July 6, 1969. The first race was won by NASCAR Hall of Famer Richard Petty, driving for Petty Enterprises Ford. Speed was 115.772 miles per hour. Uh, Petty actually won the first two Cup events at the track, 1969 and 70. In the total 104 races at Dover, We've had 43 different pole winners and 39 different race winners. NASCAR Hall of Famer David Pearson leads the Cup Series in poles at Dover Motor Speedway with six. Joe Gibbs Racing's Denny Hamlin leads all active series drivers in poles with four. Uh, eight of the 43 uh, Cup Series Dover pole winners are active this weekend. Denny Hamlin, he's got the four. Martin Truex with three. 
Chris Busher, Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, Kyle Bush, Brad Keselowski, and Kevin Harvick each have one. Now it's Legacy Motor Club's Jimmy Johnson holds the record for the most wins at Dover with 11 victories. And three drivers are tied for the most wins among active drivers competing this weekend. Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex, and Kyle Busch, as they each have three. Other winners include Chase Elliott with his two, Alex Bowman with one, Denny Hamlin, Kyle Larson, and Brad Keselowski also each hold one. Now this weekend's worth 400 will be 400 laps, which is 400 miles, broken into the three stages. Uh, it'll be 120 laps, the second will be 130 laps, and the final stage 150 laps. Now on-track action begins Saturday the 29th. Practice will be at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, followed by Bushlight qualifying for the pole at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, practice will be on FS2, qualifying on FS1. Okay. Uh, we made it. <laughs> We got it all in, Jay, uh, and that's always a good thing. So uh, we're coming up at the top of the hour. That means we're getting close to our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off segment, and uh, we've got a full crew coming on board for that. So, uh, gee, I wonder if we've got anything to talk about, Jay. Well, it sounds like you got something you want to talk about. <laughs> well, no, not necessarily. It's just that, you know, we keep hearing about how bad it's been, and yet uh, they're putting up record numbers that haven't been seen before. So I, I just don't understand it. I think there's a difference between the perception and reality in some cases. So uh, even, we do. Even when drivers are winning, they're going to complain about something. Well, drivers always want more. There is no doubt about it. And I did see a post earlier this week um, that somebody said, yeah, the drivers have been complaining, uh, but they also say that it's not as bad as they make it sound. So um, I I think we jump on the bandwagon sometimes before really understanding what the the actual facts are. So... um, let me just go ahead and start bringing in our group here, and I know Mike's going to be biting at the bit here, uh, but we have Mike Orzel on board. Welcome to the show, Mike. hey oh, and oh, yeah, I'm ready to go on that one. <laughs> I knew you would be, but uh, there there is definitely, in my mind, a difference between perception and, and reality. Uh, we also have on board with us today... Uh, Andy Lasky, welcome to the show, Andy. Hey, good evening. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, how about yourself? Pretty good. Well, I'm glad to hear it, Andy. Always glad to have uh, both you and Mike on the show. And uh, I know we're kind of biting at the bit here on some things, but we don't have to start with that one if you don't want to, or we can. Uh, Mike, I'll let you start off with the first hot topic here tonight. Well, let's get at it. I don't have the numbers pulled up in front of me, but you posted uh, some numbers. I think they came from Adam Stern showing allegedly record-breaking green flag passes at this uh, most recent Talladega race, Uh, something like 13,000 green flag passes at that race, uh, kind of allegedly uh, putting to rest the notion that it wasn't a very good race. So here we go. 
where do you see thirteen thousand <laughs> green flag passes? Uh, hang on, let me let me bring it back up here. I was trying to go from memory mm-hmm. here. Uh, Two thousand three no, fall tropical one race fifteen. Yeah, fifteen thousand and thirty three was actually yeah, right. the uh, the number that uh, was in the data that you posted up there. Jay, do you see that? Well, it was in the JSKI notes. Whoops, I just closed mine. It was in the JSKI notes that we, that we just covered, um, and now I'm trying to see where you where it was on the uh, um, message board under hot topics. Okay, yeah, one race, the 2023 race, yeah, 15,033 green flag passes saw an increase of 87. But here's the thing, it, it is an increase over what we've ever seen before. We've never seen that many green flag passes at the track ever before. That's why it's a record, right? But go ahead, Mike. (laughs) Well, you want to do the first loop around, kind of like what we usually do, offer up the topic, and then I can give my opinion on it in a minute, or how how do you want to do it? Okay, let's go ahead, Andy. You, You get the first comment on it. Oh, I gotta right. wait! Oh, um, darn it! <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'll get your chance, Jay. Not to worry. <laughs> um, I, 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 oh, man, it's hard for me to answer this one, but I'll, I'll try to do my best here. I, I can see why this might be considered the case because the majority of the race they ran side by side. Most Talladega races, even some of the best ones. They single file out and they run the top and nobody passes anybody. This race, near as I can best recall, they ran two by two pretty much all day, which is great. And I think that's where your data comes in for the green flag passes. You know, where you have an inside and an outside line, somebody's constantly jockeying for position with the outside car and that would be considered a pass. So while... While I can see where people might think it's it's misleading because, no, maybe we didn't necessarily see the three and four wide all day that we oftentimes see, we did have side-by-side racing all day, and I think that's probably where the data comes in. So it is a surprising stat. I wouldn't have thought that by watching the race, but in hindsight, I can see why that number would be plausible. Okay. Jay, well, I get my ch- I get my chance, and then I get the phone on mute. Uh, oh. It's not an alleged statistic; it's recorded, it's documented. That is statistics. Statistics are real. And what if you look at it? Andy mentioned it. Of for whatever reason, with this year, that third lane never really developed. It was there occasionally, but they did run three wide a whole lot. It was only at certain times. If you have three lanes of cars that are ducking, you would think that would create more of those passes or whatever under green flag conditions. And the record also stands that I'd have to pull it back up of green flag passes for the lead. Um, But with that, we actually went down a lane so you have less cars because they're only side by side instead of three wide. And yet we have more. I think certain people are looking at it through a lens of, I want to find something wrong and have something to complain about. The statistics prove otherwise. 
Yeah. I, you know, I remember the single-file racing, and to me that's not really racing either. Uh, and it's been a lot of single-file racing that we've seen at Talladega at times. So I, I, th- Jay is absolutely right. These are not alleged numbers. These are factual numbers that have been documented and are real. So it's not something that NASCAR is trying to uh, dupe us with or anything like that. These are stats. So, again, I think there's a disconnect between what perception is and what the reality is. And I do think that there is – and I think the drivers are partly responsible for this, and I think they're starting to realize that when they make the comments, yeah, we complain a lot, but it's not as bad as we make it sound. Um, and and I think that we've got to be careful of that because I think drivers are always going to want more horsepower. They're always going to want to go faster. They're always going to be frustrated if they can't make a pass that they want to make. That hasn't changed from the beginning of when NASCAR started. So um, NASCAR has tried to improve things, and I think this proves that they have improved things. These are record numbers that are being put up uh, at the racetrack. So I I, I just uh, – and, and – the, I put up another uh, – these came from the news and notes. This did not come from Adam Stern. Uh, and Adam Stern probably got them from NASCAR, <laughs> which is where this is all coming from. So uh, the same thing about, uh, you know, the next gen delivers high-speed competition. Again, people are thinking that uh, they don't have the horsepower. Well, here we have stats that are proving that they do, uh, that they're, they have high speed. So it's another highly competitive start to the season, uh, looking at the stats for the first 10 races of the year. So uh, I just am curious about this disconnect between what people are perceiving and what is actually happening. Mike, this is your chance. I don't dispute that these numbers are factually correct. These numbers come from the scoring loop data, it electronically records it. That's beyond dispute. With that said, these numbers are junk. They are intentionally misleading. They are deceptive, and I think they hurt the credibility of anyone who uses it to try and support the racing that we had this past weekend at Talladega. A lot of times we hear from people that say, well, I was at the race, and there was a lot more racing that they didn't show on TV. Well, I was at this race. I saw this race. There was not more racing than what we saw on TV. If you have two lines of cars, each with 10 cars each in it, and they're running parallel to each other, if one line advances two inches coming to a scoring loop, that's, a, that's 10 passes right there. And then if the other line advances 10 inches back in the other direction, there's 10 more passes back there. And that's what was happening this whole race at Talladega. Yes, they didn't string out into the single-file line along the top. So they, effectively, we had the exact same race, but instead of being a single-file line, we had a two parallel lines. There was very little real passing going on. When I say real passing, I mean a driver advancing their position beyond just a couple inches ahead or behind of the car that they've been running next to for the previous 15 to 20 laps. There was very, very little advancement of position. Same thing for the green flag passage for the lead. That was just the two leaders of those two lines nosing in front of each other, scoring loop to scoring loop to scoring loop. 
there's very little times where somebody took a commanding lead of the race and then were able to hold on to that commanding lead for any amount of time before they were running next to another driver who was not actually able to clear them. They just got up alongside them, brought their line with them, and now we're back to those parallel lines, sawing back and forth, tripping the scoring loops and counting passes that aren't really passes. So not only do I think that it draws a little bit of question into the credibility of the data regarding Talladega, it makes me go back and look at races like Richmond, where we had a similar case made of, well, the fans were talking about this lousy race we saw on TV, but look at all these passes that we had. And I, don't, I, I only watched the Richmond race on TV. I didn't see it in person, so I can't speak to exactly what was happening on the racetrack. But if they're going to use data like this to try and support a race at Talladega that I know from personal experience, from watching it live out of the window with my own two eyes, was not a very good race, I call into question the credibility of other races that are, this data is used to defend. Andy? Sorry, I'm struggling with a mute button there. Um, yeah, I mean, I just I, I think that when you compare this race to, you know, just to reiterate what I already said, if you compare this race to most Talladega races, the field never single filed out. And yeah, I, I see Mike's point from the standpoint of if one line advances slightly you know, all those cars are registering a pass. So if the other line advances, it registers a pass. But that's – you're never going to change that at Talladega because it's always going to be restricted airflow to the engines, which means the field's always going to be packed up in the draft, meaning, you know, you're not – you're probably not going to see these slingshot moves um, like – like maybe we saw, you know, 40, 50 years ago. I don't know. I just think that, you know, you're always going to see everybody packed up and and with not a lot of room for advancement. Um, The only thing that, you know, maybe not like the the wicker bill days of the early 2000s when it was a lot easier to make a pass. So I guess I shouldn't say 40 or 50 years ago, maybe only 20 years ago, we used to see passing be more prevalent at Talladega. Um, I did hear some driver comments, and I don't have the quotes, but it, about and it may be from the Xfinity race about how if you got back in the pack, it was a lot more difficult to get up to the front. So you know maybe that maybe some of those comments kind of helped set the tone of of people thinking that it there wasn't much passing. But I mean, I don't know. Loop data is loop data. I didn't think it was a bad race. I mean, we saw them side by side all day. I mean, I. I don't know what more you want. Um, you know, I mean, it wasn't bad. So I don't know, Mike, I guess I would be curious to see what you thought. I did not think it was a bad race. Um, we saw them side by side more than normal. Um, I don't know. I, to be perfectly honest, I don't really read the stats on passes and stuff. I watched the race for what it is and that's that. Um, so I could care less if there was two passes or 15,000 passes. I still thought it was a good race. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Talladega to me is always entertaining no matter what. And I thought it was fairly decent, but, um, you know, but, but I guess I can see where maybe, maybe that number is a little misleading. I I can understand that and respect that thought process, but I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't think it was bad by any means. Jay. I just uh, I don't see where this is any different than any other super speedway 
back to the restrictor plate days that we've seen in years past. Uh, as mentioned, it's not the single file everybody in line. Uh, they're racing for stage points. We see them go three wide at that point because it's time to go. The pen windows open for those stage points. Um, not going to see what we saw back in, uh, oh, I want to say about 1988, what was it, Bill Elliott made up two laps or whatever by himself. You're not going to see that anymore. And there's a reason for that, that there's 30 teams out there right now on a weekly basis. I'll, I'll be generous here. 30 teams that can win week in and week out. Talladega, yes, it's open to anybody. Back then, you had about five to ten teams that could win. That's what NASCAR is going for. The parity and the level playing field has brought that, and that goes to whatever track we go to, whether it be Talladega Super Speedway or a short track like Martinsville or Richmond. So that's where I don't understand. Of Nobody was happy with that. Back in the day, it was winning by one driver, winning by three, four, five laps all on a lap all by themselves. I'm a race fan. My favorite driver does that. I'm not happy with that race. I don't want to see my driver win by over three-quarters of a lap on a three-quarter mile dirt track. To me, I want to see the side-by-side inches apart from each other, whether they got them by a nose or they lost by a nose. That's just me. And we see that at Talladega. Uh, so I don't know. I'd... And I don't see where it's been any different than in years past. Um, like I said, I'm actually a little perplexed by it, the fact that if we had three lines of cars moving around, you would think you would have more of those passes than we did with two, but it actually was the other way around. All right, yeah. I mean, it's the same stats being compared with the same stats taken the same way. Um, so when you're driving in a single file, there is no passing. <laughs> uh, when you're winning by a lap or two, uh, you're not really racing anybody. You're just racing through the traffic uh, and passing lap traffic, and, and you know, you've got one guy that can win the race when it's all said and done. I like the parity. I like the fact that it's harder for these guys to pass, and they're going to have to use some talent. They're going to have to use creativity. They're going to have to use strategy in order to win these races. Um, and uh, I think that this proves that there has been plenty of passing, a lot more passing than we have ever seen before. Um, we've seen drivers, I, I know they say it's harder, but why are some drivers able to make their way through that field Parker Kligerman raced from the back of the pack uh, to finish up in the top ten. These guys, there are some drivers that are racing through the field and getting back to the front of the field. Um, so I don't understand why some guys can do it and other drivers are struggling to do it. There, there's a reason for that. So I, I think that there has been a lot of passing. I thought it was an entertaining race. I enjoyed the race. And as far as Richmond is concerned, um, I heard a lot of people on Sirius XM that said that they were at that race and they loved it. They thought it was a great race. Um, 
and that was on Sirius XM radio. Uh, people calling in, not understanding why people were unhappy with the race, because there was a lot of great racing going on at that track. Um, so this, this is another evidence that there was plenty of passing going on. And, yeah, I can see where, um, <laughs> I, I don't know, I'd rather have side-by-side side passing where 10 people move forward and then 10 other people move ahead of them and then 10 other people move past them. I'd rather see that racing than the single-file racing any day of the week. Um, so I, I think it's a good thing, uh, and, you know, uh, don't sign me up for the single-file racing because uh, that's like watching paint dry just watching the cars go around in a circle for X number of laps. This was a lot more exciting to watch. Mike? So if I was to put this Talladega race on a 1 to 10 scale, I might give it a 5, maybe a 6. I agree. I've seen worse. The worst races, I, I completely agree with you, are where they go single file along the top and burn off about 100 of the 188 laps. Or Daytona, same deal, 150 of the 200 laps. I think this year's Daytona 500 had a lot of that single file run along the top kind of stuff, and it wasn't great. It got better towards the end, but the, the middle part of the race was not so great. But the thing I like, I dislike even more than single file across the top racing is dishonesty to try and cover a problem. And I think that's what's going on here. Where are here. they being dishonest? The, Show me where they're being dishonest. I understand that the numbers are real and they're not making them up. But the way that they're presented is to try and tell a story that's simply not true. This was not a hyper-competitive race with a lot of actual – when I say actual passing, I don't mean just tripping the loop dead. I mean somebody actually advancing their position. The Cup Series race – the Xfinity race is better. The Cup Series race did not have a lot of passing where somebody was advancing their position through the field. What I saw more often than anything – was somebody would try and make something happen in a third lane. They'd get two or three cars up there, and it'd be like they threw an anchor out of the window of the lead car. That entire third lane would go backwards. And then that, they realized that two abreast was fine. They could, they could maintain their position, but going out into that third lane, either going up or down, was a recipe to go backwards. So that's why they show stayed me in that, what, parallel, that two parallel lines. And if, well, that's what I'm saying. They're trying to spin this race as being competitive. It no was not here. competitive. It was not competitive. And that's, that's my problem with these numbers. They're presenting a story that is not true. And that's why I it believe that it's dishonest. It is factual data. The, there is no dishonesty. Just because the data is factual doesn't mean that what it, the, so the story it's trying to tell is true. That's my point. It's trying to present this race as a very competitive race, but the fact of the matter, notwithstanding, like I said, I'm not disputing the loop data. I understand that's true. But the fact of the matter is this was not a competitive race where drivers could readily advance their position through the field and gain real track position beyond just advancing a couple feet relative to the car that was next to them. That's my problem with the data and the way that it's presented is that it's trying to, to spin this into presenting a competitive race where there was none. That's my it's problem with it. not any spin here. Okay, I don't see where the spin is, but you are entitled to your opinion. These are factual, no-spin data. <laughs> there is no spin here. Andy, you get to bring up the next topic. All right. Um, 
Yeah, kind of a tough one here. Alex Bowman's going to miss three to four weeks due to a sprint car injury. Okay. Jay, your thoughts about that? Yeah, this is one I mentioned earlier, uh, kind of a repeat topic. Uh, We had it with Chase Elliott, which was obviously due to a a snowboarding incident um, off, off track. This is not your primary job running a sprint car. You know, risk versus reward. And, and I heard from, was it Daniel Suarez was on Race Hub as well as Eric Jones. I know Joe Gibbs Racing is one that really frowns upon it, which uh, goes back to even when Tony Stewart was there and uh, leaving to form Stewart Haas Racing. Drivers want to drive. We've heard and seen the results of it as far as some of these drivers that do these outside racing. It makes them better. However, it can put their primary job of the NASCAR Cup Series, if that's where they're at, in jeopardy. Um, It is a, Andy said it, it's a tough one. Because I think about it, and I didn't realize that uh, with his own team, um, Alex Bowman and Ally. It's it's better exposure for Ally. You pay for a Cup sponsorship, you get X number of hours on TV on Sunday afternoon or whatever day they're racing. They're out there at the local short track, um, in, in smaller communities getting that exposure with being on Bowman's car. So sponsors are getting from it. The drivers are getting from it. Uh, I know a lot of them from what I'm hear, hearing, and I understand the perception. Late models, whether it be asphalt or dirt, is a little bit different. Sprint car maybe should be the one that gets uh, turned down if they have that request. Um, but, and I there I don't have any factual statistics to back it up. Uh, The sprint car accidents look a lot more violent, but generally I would say aren't. Uh, It depends. In this case, uh, with Alex Bowman's vertebrae compression, vertebrae compression is due to that violent flipping. Okay, you normally don't have that in a stock car, no matter what kind of stock car it is, and I say usually. Um, But in a stock car, you have other issues of where the frame gets bent in or being bounced around it within the cockpit. So it's a matter of a different risk versus the flipping over and compression uh, issue. Um, uh, trying to think of the other one. I know Daniel Sawyer said when it came to track house, Justin Marks wouldn't tell him no, but he wasn't a fan of it, especially when it came to sprint car racing. And, I, and this came up earlier because Ross Jastain is running a late model, a dirt late model, um, this weekend on Friday night. So they're not telling them no. Now, other teams have it where they cannot, and that's their prerogative, whether it be from the owner side, the sponsor side, whatever it be. Um, and I'll get, I'll get into some more things that I get, are on my mind on the second go-round here. Okay, Mike, do you have thoughts? Well, Jay brought up a couple really good points there, and it, I know we, we, we kind of vehemently disagreed on the last one, but I'm going to agree with Jay on, on pretty much all of his points. Uh, the sponsorship thing is huge. I'm not sure if Ally is actually paying more than they otherwise would for a straight-up cup sponsorship, but either way, it's a big benefit for their sponsor. Great engagement, a lot more personable engagement with the fans than they would get at a cup series venue just by virtue of these, these smaller 
uh, dirt track races or smaller venues. They're more intimate relationship with the fans in terms of driver interactions and whatnot. So it's great for the sponsors, Ally, and whoever else decides to support it. Also, don't forget that Alex Bowman's not the only one who drives for his team. He has several other drivers as well that could potentially end up being development drivers. We've seen several drivers uh, brought up by Kyle Busch, for example, going and finding talented drivers like Eric Jones at these local races. And Eric Jones has been racing in the Cup Series and doing very well for himself. So it's also a potential development avenue for drivers. And it helps grow NASCAR as a whole. Maybe someone is a big fan of, of sprint cars. They really don't care about NASCAR Cup Series racing. But now Alex Bowman shows up to their sprint car track. They like Alex Bowman, so now they start watching Alex Bowman racing on Sundays. So it's a great way to grow the sport from there. Uh, Alex Bowman, of course, gets the gets more seat time and gets the opportunity to drive and hone his skills and get better. And we've talked about it on the show before where that's a big change with Hendrick Motorsports since Jeff Gordon more or less has taken over is encouraging their drivers to go out, try other forms of racing, to, uh, expand their craft, expand their race craft. And I think we've seen results on the NASCAR Cup Series racetrack where the Hendrick Motorsports drivers have become better more skilled, more disciplined, and winning more, partly because of the extra laps they get off of the NASCAR Cup Series racetracks. Now, yes, there is the risk to it. The risk of injury, it happens. You know, we saw Alex Bowman obviously get injured. But then again, there's this perception that these smaller race cars, late model sprint cars, et cetera, are less safe. Kyle Larson said last year he felt safer in a sprint car than he did in a NASCAR Cup Series car. Now, granted, that was during the time that we were having issues with the rear impacts and the concussions, and he was trying to make a point. But the broader picture is NASCAR Cup Series cars won, what, four, 500 miles on a weekly basis? If you think about all the little sprint tracks, uh, sprint car tracks, dirt rate, late model tracks, and all these other local races, we're talking about tens of thousands of laps every weekend in these cars. And, yes, injuries happen, but they're incredibly unlikely. I don't have any of the numbers to, to, to look at, but I would be willing to bet the injury rate per mile driven is probably lower than it is in the NASCAR Cup Series, and I know, Sharon, it's about time for your announcement as well. Okay, thank you, Mike. Um, yeah, and uh, I will give you a chance to continue when I do the announcement. Uh, we are coming up to the 10.30 time frame, and that's when we go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. And for those of you that are listening for the first time, we, we do an announcement at this time of the night to let you know. You're going to hear us going off air while we're still conversing here. Uh, but we are going to continue to record beyond that off-air time frame at 10.30. So uh, that, part of the that part of the show will be part of our bonus overtime material that's available on our podcast. So if you've listened up to this point, I'll go out on um, Facebook and Twitter when we're done here tonight to let you know that the podcast is available. And at your convenience, you can go to the player at fanforracing.com or wherever you're listening and just fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. Uh, so that way you're not, this way you're not caught off guard. Uh, you know how to hear the rest of the conversation, whether it's, uh, you know, at our website, pamphracing.com, at, at the player there, or whether you're listening at Amazon or TuneIn or um, what's the other one I want to say? Apple, um, Apple uh, Podcast. Uh, you can listen in, in uh, even uh, at iHeart. Uh, just 
fast forward to that two-hour mark to hear the rest of our conversation. Okay, Mike, was there more that you wanted to say there? No, actually, I expertly tapered my comments just to, get, to segue into your announcement. So that's all I've got for the first go. <laughs> well, thank you for that expertise. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, I remember there was another driver, and I think it was Eric Almarola, that hurt his back in, um, in a cup car. Uh, and I can't remember where it was now, but he had he was out for a few races as well because of an injury to his back. And I think he was talking about this too, uh, that Alex Bowman isn't really – it's good that he's sitting out and taking the time to heal his body. Um, and I don't know if you watched the video of that wreck, uh, but his car tumbled not once, not twice, but several times uh, over, end over end. Uh, and it's understandable uh, what he is going through. I, too, have had a back injury. I, I, my 12th thoracic vertebrae had to be replaced, and uh, I had a third lumbar burst fracture uh, from when I had an injury, and uh, it, it takes a while to recover from those things. And actually, the doctor told me that I would never recover uh, completely from that burst fracture, that that would be a recurring uh, problem for me uh, throughout the years. So um, it, it takes a while to recover from these things uh, for sure. Uh, but I think you guys bring up some really good points. Uh, there is so much more to be gained from a sponsorship perspective, from a driver perspective, from a growth and development perspective. Um, William Byron, we know, is a very quick study. He's not one of those drivers that started racing uh, when he was four years old and came up through the ranks. He's, he's a first-generation driver, and he started racing as a teenager, and he was an eye racer. And then he got into the Canon Pro Series, and he, he's been a quick study throughout his career and the ladder that he's taken into the NASCAR Cup Series. Um, but he is still out there racing on all these short tracks, and it has made him a better race car driver. So I think Jeff Gordon is absolutely right in encouraging his drivers to be out there and racing. Um, a lot of times I know we've had the conversation with various drivers throughout the years uh, here at Tampa Racing Radio, uh, dirt versus asphalt. And a lot of times the drivers will tell you racing on dirt makes you a better asphalt driver. Um, so it's, it's good to have some experience in racing on both of those venues. NASCAR is now... Uh, expanding into more dirt racing. Uh, Arkham Menard Series has dirt racing uh, that helps drivers develop those skills. Um, and I think that um, it, it really is a good thing to encourage the drivers. There was a time when they weren't very, when NASCAR Cup Series drivers weren't that great at road course racing. And the more road course racing they did, the better they got. And now drivers are coming up through the series doing more road course racing. So I know uh, the Arco West has a race coming up in Portland, which is a road course. So um, I think it's all good. 
that these drivers are doing more than just the Cup Series racing and getting that experience off of the outside of the, um, what do you call it, a stock car. I think it's great that they're getting more racing. And, and Mike, you brought up a good point, too, about um, being able to um, interact with the fans more at the local short tracks and the exposure that these drivers get. And you brought up Eric Jones. I remember when Eric Jones beat Kyle Busch in the Snowball Derby, and that's what caused Kyle Busch to want to hire Eric Jones into KBM. So uh, there are so many uh, positives uh, from the outside of NASCAR racing that comes from this. I hope it never uh, gets discouraged, and I hope that we never uh, demand that of our drivers, that they don't go racing outside of NASCAR. Um, I can see where some of the owners might not be a fan of it, uh, but I, you mentioned Justin Marks uh, and uh, Ross Chastain is still racing, uh, you know, outside of NASCAR, and he's racing, I think, is it this weekend or is it the North Wilkesboro weekend that he's racing on the dirt? I forget now, Jay. This Friday, Georgetown Speedway outside uh, Dover. Okay, so yeah, so this weekend, uh, Ross Chastain's going to be racing on dirt, so I think that's great. Andy, your thoughts? Well, first off, glad that Alex is okay. Certainly looking at the accident, yeah. it could have been worse, and um glad that he's only going to miss a few weeks. Um, I, I hope that, you know, with this being the second Hendrick driver to miss the several races this year, that the team continues to encourage its drivers to enjoy outside activities from NASCAR, whether that be snowboarding or dirt racing, whatever the case may be. I think it's important, and it's been said by numerous people in the sport, it's important that drivers live their lives and, and do what they want to do during their off time. And you know, anytime you perform activities like this, whether, you know, it's, it's, snowboarding, skiing, dirt racing, whatever the case may be, there's going to be a risk involved in that. And most of the time, these activities go okay and there's no problems. Unfortunately for HMS, they've had two drivers get injured this year. The odds of that happening again anytime soon, probably pretty low. So, you know, they've got that on their side for sure. But I certainly hope that, you know, there aren't limitations placed on these guys moving forward um, you know, because these guys have to be able to, to live their lives and, and do what they see fit outside of the normal NASCAR regime. So hopefully that doesn't change. Glad Alex is okay. Um, I have a little concern about his playoff chances. Alex is for sure a talented driver, but I, I have more faith in Chase Elliott securing a win, especially with the, the road courses coming to make his way into the playoffs. Alex is good, but I, I, I worry a little bit more about his chances of, of winning your in, but it certainly is possible. He's a good driver. He won several races last year. So that's not to say that it can't happen, but I think that it is a bit of a possibly more uphill battle for the 48 team now uh, by, by him missing three or four races, but uh, glad he's okay. Glad that uh, it wasn't worse than it was. And we'll look forward to seeing him back at the track, uh, in the next few weeks. Okay. 
Well, and again, I wish I had statistics. The one that pops into my head is driving your own personal vehicle. There's a risk in that. We all know the, the statistics of um, accidents out there, especially if you live in bigger cities like Atlanta. But you can't stop that. I understand that risk, and it's not a necessity, but um, there are so many great benefits to it um, that, that we've hit upon. I understand, like I said, if sprint car is the one they think is maybe too too much of a risk of restricting that, um, but I think then a stock car, especially on the dirt side, as that could uh, develops your ability for um, car control more than on asphalt, I think that helps in a huge way. Um, the other thing I mentioned, is, talking about ruining that, you mentioned that Kyle Busch and uh, Eric Jones, I believe it was Kevin Harvick and Joey Logano at a Arkham Menards E-Series somewhere in the Midwest. Harvick was like, hey, who is this dude? Um, was it Benny Parsons is one that found Greg Biffle uh, out in Washington. And then lastly, I just wanted to end because uh, I had seen some of the pictures. Uh, local driver here, Shay Knight, went to Talladega and his boy Chase got pictures of Kyle Larson sitting next to him, got a picture with him in the grandstand, in the pit area, Tyler Reddick, Ricky Stenhouse. You, you mentioned that interaction with these drivers. Um, these were all ones that were participating in Red Farmer. Um, they're at the Talladega Dirt Track uh, over this weekend. So, I mean, that is a huge part. Uh, like Mike said, of you see him at the dirt track. Ricky Stenhouse won both of those races. Hey, I'm going to watch him tomorrow at the cup uh, at the cup level, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there are a lot of benefits to it. Um, you know, there are certain times where maybe, especially if you're in a playoff run. Oh, there's one other thing, and, and I think that comes into play. I know we don't know yet on Alex Bowman with the waiver. I think whether or not he gets a waiver um, is going to go a huge way in – whether or not teams will allow it. You know, back in the day, you had to be able to start that race. Uh, Think of Ricky Rudd taping his eyes open, whatever it be, that you don't have that anymore. So if you do miss a race, it does not necessarily take you out of the playoffs. Is it harder? Yes. We're going to see that from Chase Elliott, now Alex Bowman. But you still have that chance. In the old days, you didn't have that chance. Um, So I think that whether or not this waiver goes through is going to be a huge determining factor in how owners look at it. Mike? Man, Jay beat me to the analogy I wanted to make here. We're talking about just driving a regular streetcar. From a statistical standpoint, a NASCAR Cup Series driver is probably more likely to get injured taking a drive over to Taco Bell after qualifying to go get something to eat than they are racing a sprint car at the dirt track on a Saturday night before the Cup Series race. Yes, there's risks involved there, but like Jay said, there's inherent risks to everything that we do. It'd be one thing if it was something that they've never done before in their entire life. Me, for example, I've never raced a sprint car in my life. It would probably be a bad idea for me to go get in a sprint car and try and race at a level that Kyle Larson or Alex Bowman have been racing in for their entire lives. I would probably hurt myself, somebody else, or at least at the very least destroy the car. But that's not a kind of risk that these guys are taking. Chase Elliott has been snowboarding, he said, ever since he was a little kid. Alex Bowman has been racing sprint cars and other, pretty much anything else with wheels ever since he was a little kid. So this is not a new activity. Unfortunately, there are inherent risks, and sometimes those risks will come and get you. It's a part of life. I think the benefits that we've all laid out in our various supplies greatly outweigh the risks. With regard to Alex's playoff potential, 
I do kind of agree with Andy here. I, I, I can't see a circumstance where NASCAR does not grant Alex Bowman the waiver. Uh, they, they gave Chase Elliott a waiver. He missed more races than Alex Bowman is projected to miss. And also, again, we've talked about the brand outreach and the sponsorship and whatnot and the benefit that NASCAR receives. There's, I, I can't think of a good reason why NASCAR would not want to grant Alex Bowman that waiver and continue to – basically advertise for NASCAR via their drivers going out and doing these additional racing. So anything that they can do to encourage that, I think it would probably be in NASCAR's best interest to do so. With that said, I think Alex Bowman probably will win a race at some point in the regular season. He tends to win one or two. The problem that Alex Bowman has is he only wins one or two races. And with him missing three to four weeks or so, depending on how his recovery goes, it's going to make it very difficult for him to be in position to gain those regular season additional bonus playoff points that he was in position to get running first, second, third, wherever he has been in the regular season standings until his injury. He was set up to win maybe a race's worth or maybe a race and a half worth of additional playoff points, and he most likely will not be able to get those anymore. It's going to make a playoff run much more difficult for Alex Bowman in that 48 team. Chase Elliott, even though he missed six races and most likely will not also not be competing for those regular season bonus playoff points, Chase Elliott has a history of winning more races on a given season than Alex Bowman does. That nine team is usually good for three to four, maybe even five wins in a regular season versus the one or two for the 48. So Chase Elliott has a, a history says the nine team has a better opportunity to bank off some playoff points and set themselves up for a stronger playoff run from the 48. Not a huge priority right now. Alex's priority needs to be get healthy, get back in the race car, get back to the racetrack as soon as he's healthy to do so. Yeah, the one thing you got to remember too about Alex Bowman is that he's down five playoff points before he even gets a win. So he's got to get a couple of wins at least, uh, I think, to make up for that negative five uh, playoff points that he has. So uh, again, it, it is going to be interesting. I do think that NASCAR is going to give him the waiver. Um, but the thing that keeps crossing my mind is Grant Infinger. It still uh, is a head-scratcher to me why they didn't give Grant Infinger a waiver uh, for him to be in the championship run last year. Uh, but that's another whole other topic. But uh, I can't see any reason why NASCAR wouldn't give uh, Alex Bowman the waiver on this, but I think it's going to take him at least two wins uh, to really get uh, 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 in good position. He might be able to do it with just the one win, but it puts him at zero playoff points. So it, it does give him a little bit of a disadvantage. Uh, but if he can get some stage wins, he can make up for that too. But he's going to need, what, five stage wins in order to make up for the the uh, five playoff points that he's down. So <clears throat> we'll see. What happens? Um, I know when you have a back injury, uh, what amazes me is they're saying, what what they say, three to four weeks that he's going to be out. Um, it took me a lot longer than three or four weeks. I was in a, I was in a body cast uh, for three months. So I don't know um, if he's going to be able to come back. I, I, if he does come back in three or four weeks, I think it's going to be he's going to be pretty tender. And uh, that that could kind of affect his racing as well. We'll, we'll have to see how that plays out. 
Andy? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. And, and I guess the, the big thing will be at the end of the regular season is will this injury be the cause for him to possibly miss the playoffs? Um, you know, and I think that that may that right there alone will be interesting because that could cause some apprehension for some of these drivers of doing these races moving forward. I don't think they should stop personally. I think you've, you've got to be able to, to go out there and do what you want to do on a weekly basis. But um, I really think it's interesting. I, I'll, I'll go out there and say right now, I don't think both Hendrick drivers will make the playoffs because of the races they've missed. If they do, I'd be surprised. And, and like I said earlier, I think Chase Elliott, given how good he is on road courses, has a really good chance to win and get himself in. Alex Bowman, I'm not as confident in, and that's not to say he won't, but I would be very surprised to see both of those guys make the playoffs as a result of missing several races. It'll be interesting to see. Hopefully they do, but uh, I think that, you know, if an injury is a direct result of, you know, Alex Bowman or or Chase Elliott, either, either one of them not making the playoffs, I think that that could cause, you know, some apprehension throughout the whole garage in terms of, um, you know, what what are they going to do moving forward? Um, Briscoe, as an example, broke his finger. We've heard all about that, you know, and, and he had surgery on it, but that apparently was giving him problems on Sunday as far as pain and whatnot after his surgery. Lucky, lucky for him, that wasn't worse than it was, or he too would have missed several races and probably would, would cause his playoff shot to be in jeopardy. So, um, starting for whatever reason, this year has been the year of injuries for these cup guys for some reason, and, and hopefully that's a trend we see slow down and, and stop. But, um, you know, I, I have to wonder, you know, if, if one of those, one of the two Hendrick cars doesn't make the playoffs as a result of that, and, and if so, you know, you have to wonder what that, what those repercussions from that would be moving forward. Okay. Uh, Jay, you get to bring up the next hot topic. All right. My next hot topic, I don't know if it's on the message board, of how Mike used past statistics to try and spin his story on Chase Elliott versus Alex. But No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> we'll, pull, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll pull up the another one I'm sure we're going to have opinions on, though. The SRX broadcast team has been announced. As well as I saw, Casey Kane was announced for Berlin Raceway, I believe. Okay. Uh, Mike, your thoughts about the broadcast team for SRX? Yeah, so this is a big change for SRX. The first two seasons they were on CBS. Now they've moved over to ESPN. Uh, In the booth, you're going to have Alan Bestwick for play-by-play moving over from CBS. He's going to be joined by Matt Yoakum as the lead pit reporter. Uh, Joey Logano is going to be a driver analyst at Stafford at Berlin and Eldora. Darrell Waltrip is going to be an analyst at Thunder Road. And Connor Daly is going to be out at the driver analyst for the Motor Mile and at Lucas Oil Stadium. So I would say it's a pretty all-star lineup there that they've got. Alan Bestwick, at least in my opinion, I, I, I think Andy agrees with me, Alan Bestwick is by far the best play-by-play guy in all of motorsports right now, bar none, the best. So to have him at SRX is great. To have him not on the Cup Series is criminal, but I'll take him where I can get him. 
He's been great the first two years at SRX, and I expect nothing less out of him. Matt Yoakum is another all-star. I think he's going to do very, very well. Joey Logano, he's got a lot of experience calling the NASCAR Xfinity Series races on Fox. I think he does very well in the booth. I'm glad Tommy's not here because I'm sure he'd take a swipe at Joey. But as a broadcaster, I've got to give Joey Logano credit. He does very, very well. He's got a good blend between humor but still keeping it focused on the racing, and he really doesn't let it devolve into a clown show, which is really, really important in a broadcast. And I'm not going to name any names, but certain broadcast partner or certain driver analysts tend to skew a little bit too far on the clown, clown thing. Joey Logano is not one of them. Darrell Waltrip is a known quantity, spending nearly 20 years in the Fox broadcast booth. Connor Daly, if you're only a NASCAR Cup Series guy, maybe you're not as familiar with Connor Daly. He's a regular IndyCar driver, but he also did a lot of the broadcast work for SRX last year, and I thought he was very good. Uh, very dry sense of humor, but very, very knowledgeable about racing. Um, very in tune with, with – even though SRX and, and full-body cars isn't necessarily Connor Daly's bread and butter, he's very plugged into that world and has a lot of great insight, and I really have appreciated the things that he's brought forward. So I'm looking forward to this SRX season starting up here. we got another, I think, six weeks or so until it kicks off, but if it's anything like the previous two seasons, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and this broadcast team has me excited. Okay, Andy. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I'm really excited to see that they have retained Alan Bestwick and Matt Yoakum uh, from uh, the previous two seasons. Uh, always really enjoyed the work of both those guys. Um, I would agree. I I wish Alan Bestwick was a part of Cup Series and NASCAR coverage overall. Just a, a fantastic play-by-play announcer. Always felt that way about him ever since um, I started watching uh, over 20 years ago. But uh, I'm thankful that he's going to be a part of SRX. He does a really good job. Same with Matt Yoakum as a pit reporter. I think their driver analysts are are good choices. Um, Much like Mike already said, Joey does a really good job in the booth. Whether whether you like him or not as a driver, he does a a great job with his – is commentating. I don't know a lot about Connor Daly. I actually didn't watch any of the SRX broadcast last year because I was uh, preoccupied with stuff in life. However, uh, looking forward to watching hopefully all of them this year and um, looking forward to seeing what Connor brings to the broadcast. Darrell Waltrip, of course, we know how he's been. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he is um, in the broadcast booth. I, I the only thing I can say about him is when he retired from Fox, it was time for him to retire. So hopefully, uh, I, I guess we'll have to see how that part of things go with his SRX uh, broadcasting. You know, nothing against Darrell Waltrip by any means. Obviously a Hall of Fame driver, but, um, you know, a bit past his prime, if you will, on certain things as far as knowledge is concerned. But that being said, these drivers are all mostly past their prime with the exception of uh, – you know, some of the uh, active cup guys. So, um, but it'll be interesting to see. And like I said, I, it's, it's good that they retained um, much of their on-air talent from the previous two seasons. And um, it's going to be fun to watch. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You guys uh, have pretty much laid it out there. Alan Bestwick, one of the best in the business. Uh, and uh, I agree with Andy and Mike. He's He does such a great job. Uh, I wish he was in NASCAR, but he's not. 
Uh, I remember the days when he was, and I really enjoyed him. Uh, but uh, I look forward to having him uh, retained in that booth uh, for the SRX series on ESPN, along with Matt Yoakum. I like all of the driver analysts that they brought into the, the game. Uh, Joey Logano with three of those races, uh, Michael Waltrip for one, and Connor Daly for two. Uh, I think those are all great uh, picks and uh, great matchups uh, for those drivers. So uh, not a whole lot I can add to it. I, I'm just super excited for it, and I think uh, they made some good choices here. Uh, Jay. Overall, yeah, I, I think we're all in agreement. It is a, a very sound uh, setup for these guys. Um, Mike, Mike mentioned it. You know, when it comes to driver analysis, the joke versus uh, analyzing the actual race does do a good job of that. He has that humor, um, but also does keep it focused on the race and provide insight as to why what's happening is happening. Um, Andy hit on it a little more. I thought it would come from a different side. I'm one that I, I didn't necessarily think Darrell Waltrip needed to leave the booth when he did. However, there was the fact that he was far removed from what we were racing now. Um, he did a lot of, like Mike Joy does, of back in the day, which is still a good thing. Yeah, remember when. Um, I know uh, Chocolate Myers uh, has that on Wednesdays, uh, the hump day portion of uh, Sirius XM on his show, I'm a surprised being as, and I don't remember who said it here, I think maybe it was Andy, the perception when this started was older drivers, no longer the cup level, that trying to get away from that, that it's still competitive racing, but then you bring in Daryl Waltrip as the announcer, kind of leads you back towards that. So, uh, But he also has still has the name, just like Richard Petty. Uh, you know, you put his name with something, people know who it is. Even in basketball, Michael Jordan, you know, you bring him back. I mean, that that name just does bring something. So we'll see how he does. Uh, he's another one that can get a little off topic and not focus on racing as much. Uh, but we'll have to see how he does with it. Uh, I am looking forward to it, though. I've always liked Dale. Okay. Is one time around uh, enough on this one, or do, you, do we have uh, additional comments? I got nothing else. Good enough for me. I think we're all kind of in agreement. Yeah, I think so, too. Andy? Uh, yeah, I'm all set. I'm good. All right. So uh, with that, I guess we'll we'll go ahead and go with our roundtable. And, Mike, we'll start with you for the roundtable. Mike underscore is L on Twitter. Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Leaving tomorrow morning, go to Barbara Motorsports Park. Going to check out some sports car racing on Friday and Saturday and doing the IndyCar race on Sunday. Haven't been to an IndyCar race since uh, Homestead. And if you're saying to yourself, self, I don't think the IndyCar race is a Homestead. You're right. They don't. I haven't been to an IndyCar race since before the merger. Uh, back the, the old CART and IRL days, this was back when CART raced at Homestead. That's how long it's been since I've been to an Indy car race. So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to get back to it. I'm really looking forward to seeing something a little bit different this weekend. Okay. Andy? Uh, CB14 fan on, uh, on Twitter, and uh, looking forward to uh, hopefully Dover not being a rainy weekend. We'll see what happens. Um, hopefully everything goes as planned. And, Mike, uh, we'll be sure to get your uh, green flag pass stats 
from uh, Barber this weekend. <laughs> I'll get heated about that too. Don't you worry. <laughs> you are funny, Andy. Okay, Jay. Uh, you can follow me, Michael Hootsman, on Facebook, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And if you got a dollar, a single dollar, four quarters, you can come to Fan Appreciation Night at your Capital City Raceway in Jackson Motor Speedway for a dollar based on their Fan Appreciation Night. So hopefully you all join me out there. I'm with uh, Andy and Mike. Hopefully the weather doesn't interfere. Yes, I have to agree with that sentiment as well. We've already seen uh, uh, a driver. I don't know if there's others that have dropped out, but Carson Hosevar uh, from Spiral Motorsports uh, has dropped out uh, and won't be participating this weekend in the race. Uh, kind of sad to see that happening. Uh, so let's pray for uh, the weather gods to uh, be on our side this weekend. And um, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including our website, fanforacing.com. And um, uh, a big shout-out to all of our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate each and every one of you. We did have the media interview with um, Riley Erbst earlier in the show. That's during our second half hour, if you want to go back and listen to it. Um, and uh, he had some really interesting comments uh, on a number of different topics. And uh, I know Ryan Priest was also part of that media interview. We didn't hear his part of the interview, uh, but I believe uh, Jay is going to write up a little something uh, that probably ties into both Riley and Ryan Priest. Uh, so watch for that to come out at com. And uh, I'm looking forward to reading it myself. So <laughs> we'll look forward to seeing that. Um, and thanks to our Fan for Racing crew. You guys always make it fun. Even when we disagree, we have a lot of fun um, uh, agreeing with one another and disagreeing with one another. So uh, we'll look forward to doing this again next Monday night uh, when we come back for our review of the racing at Dover Motor Speedway this past weekend, or this upcoming weekend. It will be passed on Monday. So, um, and Sal Segala will be the co-host on Monday night. And Hot Topics will be back again Monday night at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. So with that, guys, uh, I believe we are uh, uh, ready for a sign-off here, unless any of you have anything more you want to say. Good night, everybody. Have a good night. Enjoy the weekend. Okay, enjoy your race weekend, everybody.
Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.